Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome to Action Radio. This is Greg Penglis coming to you from the historic district of downtown Milton on the banks of the beautiful Blackwater River. And now let's get into Action Radio. Well, I'm, I'm glad it's Friday. I've, I've had enough. This has been uh, it's been a wonderful week, a crazy week, a great week. We had an amazingly intense show yesterday. Uh, Robin Tout on uh, the dangers of breast implants in the third hour, and uh, Wendy Arthur, our Oh My God reporter, had a very special report with two uh, deliverance ministers, and it was just uh, Marissa and Dean. Oh, boy. <laughs> that was pretty intense. Next week, we've got Christina Bob uh, dropping in the Trump's attorney. She'll be here Tuesday. Uh, we've got a new uh, reporter friend of mine who's going to be um, – Broadcasting uh, most Mondays, I'm guessing that's Jessica Rivera. Uh, she's a real journalist. <laughs> you know, she actually, you know, works for has worked for major networks. It's pretty cool. So anyway, so all these things are happening, uh, and I'm just uh, I'm just going crazy. So I'm just going to bring on my my uh, my friend and regular uh, reporter here from the San Rosa County Animal Shelter, the one and only Tara D. Hey Tara. Good morning. How's it going today? Uh, I think I just said. <laughs> I don't know. I think we'll find out. Yeah, it's 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 going to be interesting. But uh, the best thing about uh, what's going on right now is the weather's cooling down, and yeah. so fall just showed up one day. I mean, just you know, no announcement. Just here we are. Fifteen <laughs> mm-hmm. degrees cooler. You know, went from a hundred to like eighty-five. You know, overnight. <laughs> is that normal for around here, or is that just the way it went this year? Well, it's just a preview. It comes in for you know it's the beginning of October for a couple of days, then it warms back up a little before we get the actual fall weather, but. It's definitely enjoyable, and I know here it's making, um, you know, a lot easier for the dogs for for the Mm -hmm. daily function of being in the hot kennels, so it's definitely a blessing for us. We're all very happy for the lower temps. Yeah, well, I'm sure they are. Um, It's been, well, um, actually, I'm just thinking, mm, let's give the contact information first. Let's tell folks where you are, and then we'll probably do it at the end as well, but uh, that way we get it right front. I think last time we talked for a while, I wonder if people wondered, who is she? Who is this person? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I'm Tara D. We don't know where she's from. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) So Tara D. at Santa Rosa County Animal Services. We are at 4451 Pine Forest Road, Milton, Florida. Our phone number is 850-983-4680, and then our website is santarosa.fl.gov slash animals, or you can find us on Facebook. Okay. And I was just out there, uh, I believe it was last Saturday. I might be losing track of my weeks. For the pet adoption. How'd that go? Yes. Oh, it went fantastic. So we were sponsored by a local group, the Collins Group with uh, Eleven Realty, and Mm -hmm. they sponsored our adoptions as well as Bone Bangles North and Construction. So we had basically a blowout day. We adopted or foster to adopted out 13 animals and just from the one event. So uh, that's way more than our average Saturday. So we were super, super excited. Uh, it was really a positive day. Everybody was in good spirits, and we got a lot of good adoptions. So we were very happy about the outcome. Wonderful. Yeah. I actually talked to both of those folks, and uh, we'll see if they uh, end up sponsoring your reporter or some of Action Radio or what kind of work I do with them, because they're both really interesting people. Um, let's see, mm-hmm. let's Absolutely. give a little credit where credit is due here. Uh, we have uh, Lewis Collins from from the Collins Group. And do you remember the person's name from, um, I, guess, or I guess we, yeah, because they're sponsoring you guys, so I guess it's public, from uh, uh, North Scale so Construction? Cindy Ebert, is with Bo- Cindy Ebert is with Bone Bangles, and then... Uh, ah, I'm drawing a blank on the the construction company. Okay. Uh, well, that'll get yeah. you. Yeah, tell me later. 
Yeah, where I'll I'll definitely have it later. I'll look it up. So, um, yeah, but we had a great day and uh, really, you know, we had a really good turnout. And I think when people mm-hmm. were coming into PetSmart, they saw the activity and were like, "What's going on here? It looks like a party." Stopped mm. in, fall in love with a puppy or a dog. So we had a yeah, really nice turnout. We were very pleased with it. Do you ever go to places that are that are not pet oriented? I know it's pet it's pet smart, right? Because I got the name wrong in the when yes. I just did the video. Pet smart. Okay. So, do you ever go like to a pizza place or a, uh, I don't know a furniture store? I mean. Oh yeah, we've yet? been to all. Yeah, we've been to all okay. kinds of places. So we've been to. I think there was a farm event. There's a next. Oh, in October we're going to like a. Uh, it's in Pensacola. I want to say it's like a. Excuse me. It's a church, like a craft fair or something like that they're going to be having. So um, then we have something in November, like Camping World and Gulf Breeze. Uh, So it just kind of depends on if someone calls us and they're like, hey, can you bring some animals? If we're available, we're going to come because, you know, you never know when you get that one, like, excellent, fantastic love match adoption. So we also have the American Legion, which is right around the corner from here, and they invite us often to do events. Yeah, and yeah. so it's not an animal per se, animal event per se, but we generally do mm-hmm. one or two adoptions there, and which is okay. excellent, and it gets us out. We get to meet people in the community, so it's a really, you know, a really good thing. And it's right around the corner, so and they have a lot of area outside, so it's a, a good place to set up to, you know, get some coverage for our puppies. Yeah, I was just thinking as you're talking, car shows would be a fabulous place. You know, would you like a, oh, uh, yeah. you know, a Labrador to go with your 55 Chevy? That's <laughs> right, yeah. You know, or <laughs> or uh, your, your 46, you know, Ford pickup, you know, you, should, you need a bloodhound or something like that. I, mean, I don't know. It just, mm-hmm. uh, it just, I, actually, that's kind of, I never thought about this until Jill just now. Do you ever match up uh, owner or, or dogs with car makes. <laughs> I mean, we, we obviously like Dalmatians and fire trucks for those that haven't known a fire truck, but uh, or at least go to fire stations. Yeah, we. Yeah, well, you, some, sometimes we do try to match when they come in if they're picking up an animal that was loose. We kind of we don't do it officially, but we're kind of like, hmm, let me think uh-huh. if I can figure out what his what kind of dog he's got, you know. And so we kind of do that as a you know like a off like off topic thing amongst funny. ourselves, you know. But it's it's interesting because there is a dynamic sometimes, you know, you can sometimes be way off but then again there's also times when the owners look like they're animals. So and that's the thing like, you know, there's a <laughs> probably a little Facebook joke about that, but it is you know, it it's can true. happen sometimes or you'll see they nope. they have the similar personalities, you know, and so it's really I don't know if the dog just kinda absorbs the owner's you know, they're scheduling and it makes them like, I don't know if a person's a little anxious. Sometimes a dog can be a little anxious. Sometimes it could be completely opposite, though. So it just kind of depends on, you know, the person and the dog. Wait and cats, of course, the, just do what they want. So. <laughs> well, yeah, well, cats kind of, I mean, cats are similar. I mean, they're different colors, but the shape size is pretty similar. Whereas with dogs, right. you know, they're all over the map. You know, you got from yes, Chewinis to Great Danes. You know, it's it's hysterical. Cats are cats. No offense to cat owners. But just thinking of that, that horrible Obama line that I can't stand. Um, it says, you know, people only like people who look like them. You know, trying to uh, to tell us that we're all prejudiced, um, but mm-hmm. uh, but uh, pet owners, I'll tell you, it's. I mean, I mean, I like hyacinth macaws. So I don't know what that says about me. Probably I'm just a, a hippie at heart. You know, <laughs> you know, encased in an anti-federalist body. You know, it's like the old line. I'm a lesbian trapped in a man's body. <laughs> really? No, I'm I'm actually a hyacinth macaw trapped in a, uh, you know, an anti-federalist patriot's body. Okay, fine. Anyway, but uh, <laughs> I was see if you can guess what kind of a pet this is. So this guy's driving down the street, right? This is in Australia. I'll never forget it. He's bald except for these like white tufts of hair on the side of his head, all kind of scrunched mm-hmm. up face and big nose and gruff uh, look to him and smoking a cigar. Kind of Winston Churchillish. What dog did he have? I mean, ideally, I would think an English bulldog. 
Exactly. I probably shouldn't have said Winston <laughs> Churchill. That just pretty much gave it away. But yeah, well, I God, saw the cigar, the cigar scrunched up face. I'm like, mm, yeah, it sounds like an English bulldog. Swear to God, these two looked like, you know, father and grandson or grandfather yeah. and son. Yeah, oh, yeah, it was hysterical. And they look so similar. Well, yeah, if you have a small sports car, too, you know, you're not going to put a great Dane in that. Uh, yeah. And if you have uh, yeah, a like a little tricky. Chihuahua in a you know a, a 1946 Duesenberg, <laughs> you know, or, or something like a you know, like a 55 Cadillac, you know, you've got a lot of room in there, so you might as well have a bigger dog. Mm-hmm. But I just wonder, yeah, do, do, do you ever ask people? This is what happens. I had no idea what to talk about this morning. I said, what do we need to do today? You know, because a lot of times I don't prepare questions for people that I trust, like you, that we're going to have things to talk about. But I never thought about mm-hmm. matching cars because we always get off on something. It doesn't take long. But do, like mm-hmm. matching cars, you know, do you ever ask people, you know, you're, you're adopting, uh, I don't know, an Irish wolfhound, you know, do you drive a Volkswagen? I mean, do you ever think about <laughs> things like that? I mean, I, I, I just, we don't ask know. them that, but that is a good question. Um, but we do try to see what kind of household they have. So like, you know, what is your oh, activity yeah. level and things like that. But yeah, mm-hmm. that can be an interesting question. Like, okay, you got a lab, like, do you have room in the in the front of your truck for this dog, because we're going to toss mm-hmm. them in the back, man. It's a no-go for us, you know, but yeah, things like that. Yeah, if you have like an alpha male spider, there is no back. <laughs> there's like a yeah, shelf. Yeah, exactly. It's like, <laughs> yeah, you need a little dog for that. But we generally yeah. try to match them up according to their lifestyle. Um, a lot of people sometimes uh, have illusions, of, you know, of grandeur. They think, I'm an active person when maybe they're not, and so they think, oh, yeah, I can handle this. And so we kind of mm-hmm. see that. We try to make sure they know, like, when we say active, we don't mean maybe one walk, like, this is a dog that's going to need a lot of activity, just mm-hmm. to make sure that they're comfortable with that because we don't want to set any of our pets up for failure. So, you know, we see that not all the time, but sometimes people get like a puppy and they're like, oh, this is way more than I anticipated. Like, this dog needs to go out every three hours. What, this is crazy. Or this dog isn't house trained. Well, yeah, he's a puppy. He's not house trained. That's going to be up to you. You know, to mm-hmm. get that done. So that's something that people maybe sometimes don't think about. So that's puppies are easy to adopt because everybody, you know, because they're so cute, but they will grow up in a matter of months. So, you know, that's why we encourage people to look at those adult dogs because you already have a barometer of, like, you know how big they're going to be, you know their general behavior, and a lot of them are already house trained. So you kind of have all the basics out of the way so you kind of know a little bit more about what you're getting than with a puppy per se. So we definitely encourage adult dog adoptions. Yeah, do you ever show people like videos of what the dogs would be as adults or, or, or if you have an example in the shelter? So if someone wants a, a really cute, I don't know, Newfoundland. <laughs> you got, I actually saw this, uh, you know, in the course of one of my jobs. Is like, they had this beautiful Newfoundland. I'm thinking, this is a really mm-hmm. great dog. Uh, and it was young. And I'm thinking, A, it's going to be three times as large in about six months. And B, it's right. going to be really hot here, you know, in the summer. Yeah. I said, why did, why did you get a sled dog, basically, or like a, like a mountain rescue dog from, you know, mm-hmm. Canada <laughs> to bring to Florida? Yeah. Know? Yeah. So, so I just think those guys like are that. yeah they're getting actually very popular here. I've seen I've been seeing them a lot more over the last three or four Why? years, which is kind of Why? odd. But I think it's because people dog. you know we go through a, a period of time where a certain si- size dog like right now big dogs are pretty popular. Um, so the newfies are have an excellent temperament and they're fluffy and they're adorable. So I guess people are drawn to their physical aspect, but. Yeah, we're seeing, I'm definitely noticing, you know, that there's an upward trend with those guys, or at least locally, for over the last two years. Yeah, we should talk about dog trends. I'm always curious what's going on with different breeds. But Newfoundland, like I say, uh, that's a, you know, if you lived, uh, you know, outside Montreal, <laughs> you know, up in the, yeah. up in the mountains up there, or if perfect. you're like Banff, yeah. if you're like Western Canada and the Rockies and Banff, Newfoundland mm-hmm. is a great dog, you know, if you do log cabins and you know, you hike into the woods and stuff like that. That's a perfect, or the Bernese Mountain Dog, which is a beautiful dog. Uh, yeah. And the fur, 
the fur of those, especially Newfoundland. I've, you know, I, I've patted Newfoundlands when they're, you know, young. That fur is unbelievable. It, it's it's like, oh, yeah. like a down blanket or something. It's just it's amazing um, how soft and fluffy they are, unless it's just like a hair dryer oh, yeah. and I didn't know. But, um, but they, they do grow up. And, and I'm thinking, so what, what's the attraction to a Newfoundland here? Because this is a working dog. This is a big, long, like a St. Bernard. I think, yeah, I think people like the looks of the dog, and then their their personalities are really good as well. So mm-hmm. I think that's got to be it. Um, I mean, they can go with other dogs, but fluffy dogs, whether it be big or small, tend to get more, you know, more activity, more interest than a short-haired mm-hmm. dog. And that's just being at the shelter mm. for the you know, amount of time. I've noticed if we get a small breed dog or a large breed dog, if they're fluffy, they're going to get adopted faster. And that's just, you can almost put money on it every time. If we get a litter of puppies and one of them is fluffy, he'll go first out of the litter. It's just like really? you can bet money on it. Oh, yeah. And oh. I think it's just, you know, they, they're fluffier, they're People tend to be more, you know, oh, they're cuter in their mind, I guess. So they just really go faster. So the hair, the hair helps. I guess hair, you know. Well, that's why guys, you know, wear hair pieces once they get over a certain age. We, just, I don't know. Yeah, I don't, we'll start putting some wigs that. on our dogs and see if I can help get them the dog. <laughs> I know this is a long-haired dog, actually. Yeah, I guess some good, that'd be good. Get some like 60s, you know, rainbow afros or things like that. Put on a dog and some sunglasses and see what happens. You never know. Well, hey, we but, might we might use that as a an outfit for Halloween coming up. So, good ooh, idea. there you go. Yeah, you should do a Halloween video. Dress up your dogs for yeah, Halloween. That's okay. Oh, come on. That'd be great. Yeah. Can I yeah, be there? that I'll does be sound great. On there. I'll we marry. are I'll, taking I'll pictures. Right? So, What's we that? are going to do some Halloween pictures. So, but okay. uh, yeah, video would be pretty fun. Well, I can actually do like a serious voice, and now we have the uh, the Labrador costume for this year. Is the you know the, the Michael Jackson lookalike? You know, or I mean, I don't know. <laughs> we could have hey, I think that's a good idea, and maybe we can get our volunteers involved to yeah. dress the dogs, yeah. and we can bring them out, like kind of. I like have a the model, and... model like mm-hmm. a dog show runway. Yes, exactly. Oh, this is great. <laughs> We actually did do a runway show, um, a local one for uh, a local retail store many years ago, and we brought uh-huh. our dogs, and they had, you know, it was very cute, and most of the dogs cooperated except for there was one dog we had that wouldn't go out, so the model slash, I think they were maybe employees oh, as no. well, she just picked the dog up, and it was a big dog. She just picked him up and walked with him and <laughs> and uh, walked down the runway, brought him back, and set him down, but it was very cute. The dogs were a hit, you know, dogs are always uh-huh. a hit, so very cute. Well, that's the thing. They're fun. So, I mean, do you have mm-hmm. dog shows around here? Is there is there any of the the, the Rukununi? What's that? That Rubenubi? Whatever that product is that they. That, oh, that, you that can do that. Yeah, I do. Thank I think you. that in the past we've had some dog shows. I don't really. I'm sure there probably still are. I just haven't really followed that track. But I think there are some local dog shows usually throughout the year, and then the bigger shows are generally you know more in the bigger cities. But we do have some because I think it's kind of the same where they have the smaller shows, and you have to you know win that one. You get so many wins going up to the to the bigger class things like that but we've got some beautiful dogs in the area so i'm sure that you know i think there's a couple show dogs in the area that have gone to the big shows i think we have really i want to say it was a golden retriever and then there was like maybe a doby that this was a few years back that was had gone to like the big show you know the like the the big fancy shows um and and for what's local so it's kind of cool so what was that show called again that that weird word Oh, the Yukonuba. Yukonuba. <laughs> what is that? What does that mean? It's a brand of dog food. I don't know what it means. What? It means it means expensive. <laughs> That's what it means. Yukonuba. Where does that come from? Pakistan. I have no it, idea. It's very interesting. Like it's a catchy word, though. You know, because you're going to remember that. 
Then a little bit of curry to it to be wonderful time. We'll put some yukunubu food to be good. Yeah, thank you. Sorry, that's You're going to be thinking of... about that all day. Yukunubu is going to be in your head now. Oh, thanks. Great. So I've been, I've been imprinted or whatever that's called. Okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and my apologies for my rather bad accent. I, I think I mixed like three of them together there. Um, so what are the popular breeds? What's, uh, what's, what's trending these days in, in dogs? Um, so we are seeing at the shelter just a really a whole bunch of mixed breeds, and mixed breeds are awesome dogs. However, that means people are not staying and neutering their animals, so oh. that's not a good thing. So, okay. you know, that's the negative you have to look at. The more mixed breeds you see, that means the more litters are out there. That means people are not being responsible and altering their pets. Um, yeah. As a whole, I would say we're seeing – in the area a lot of Great Danes like the poor so there's a wonderful uh, Great Dane Rescue locally called no- Northwest Florida Great Dane Rescue they do amazing work they've been around for several years mm-hmm. and they are inundated with Great Danes and it Our you know we used to yeah, we can call, we can yeah. get them on. They're amazing. They do a lot of great work in the area. Um, they mm-hmm. take in Great Danes because people will get them not doing their research and realizing these dogs are going to be big. They're going to need certain requirements to live a happy, healthy life. And people mm-hmm. just, you know, I don't know. It's it's you know you know it's going to be a big dog. So you know factor that into any decisions decisions that you make about what breed you get. But um, but they're amazing, and so I've noticed over the past probably five years the amount of Great Danes in our area is, is almost oversaturated, whereas, you know, 10 years ago, we'd see them occasionally, but now they're just almost everywhere, and which is unfortunate because they're not for everyone. You know, they require a lot more medical care because they're a large breed dog. The giant breed dogs are not going to have as long of a, a lifespan. They're going to require what are, other what are we things that smaller about? dogs may not. Like well, five on the years, average, isn't it? it's not that long. Five, six years. It's longer than that now. With okay, all the, um, you know, the things that we've done for, you know, the veterinary world has really done a lot. But it's they can still live, you know, eleven, twelve years. But the average, okay. I think, was seven or eight or something like that. Um, yeah. Like I have, for example, I had a mastiff uh, that passed in 2020. He lived to be eleven, which was really good for a mastiff. So you know, but. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a short gig when you have a perfect animal that you love so much and you're like, oh, we got eight years out of them. You know, it's sad. So you have to, you know, things like that you have to be prepared for. And then the large breed dogs generally have more, you know, you have to worry about other things like bloat and then hip issues. And so those are things to consider when you're picking your breed. So, but yeah, for the Great Danes, I've definitely seen that this area has definitely had an uptake of Great Danes, which is unfortunate because the rescues were already just trying to you know keep up with the ones that they could and now it's just like they're getting slammed left and right so we encourage people if you're looking for a great dane don't go buy one at a breeder contact their rescue they're going to have one that's already altered all the vetting's done probably already house trained and they can match you up with a great a great fit yeah and they're um they're big but they're the sweetest dogs yeah you know i've, oh, uh, yeah. I've seen a bunch of this that we, you know, i have a neighbor that has one and walks all the time but i wonder what the big dogs and it's like standard poodles too if you see them run they're amazingly they're, they're beautiful uh, but they need a mm-hmm. lot of space because you know they'll bound like what 10 feet you know for, for yeah for, they, for they need a little more space to stretch their legs but surprisingly yeah. what i found is um it seems like the Big dogs do really well in the house. They are going to need, you know, a bigger yard when they huh. do go outside, but they do really well in the home. And that's not to say for every large breed, but every, I don't know, to me, they're easier to house train. It's just, 
it's easier. And that's just a personal preference. But if you, you know, if you check with a lot of the large breed rescues, probably they don't really have a lot of trouble house training their dogs when they bring them into rescue. But if you check with like the Chihuahua rescues, yeah, these guys are going to be a lot more difficult to house train. And that's just kind of how it is. So another thing to think of, your Mastiff may uh, take up a lot more space, but you know, he's going to be a lot lazier, and that might fit your lifestyle better than maybe an Aussie who's going to need constant activity and running and exercising and that. So just something to think about when you're, you know, looking for a pet. Make sure it's a good match for your for your household, for your lifestyle, because the last thing you want is you're you're exhausted from a day of work. You come home, and you're like, ah, I've got to go run the dog for two hours because otherwise he's going to be a crazy – yeah, he's going to be a crazy kid and tear up the house. You know, that's not what you want to do. If you get a dog that fits your lifestyle, maybe you get a basset hound, and he's like, oh, we're chilling on the couch today? That's cool. I'm down with it. And then everybody's happy. So. <laughs> Well, yeah, and the Great Danes used to be guard dogs, if I remember. They guarded the English castles. Wasn't that the dog of the mm-hmm. kings? You know, so yeah, and they wanna... still can have that kind of instinct sometimes, so it's just oh. a matter of making sure, you know, it's a good fit. If you, you know, and that's why, but every dog has their own personality as well. So just because, you know, this the German Shepherds are this, this, and this, We the rescue might have one that's like, this girl is a lazy dog, you know, she loves yeah. everybody, blah, blah, blah. So, you know, always check check around. Uh, as, as Also with us at the shelter, you know, we try to send a lot of our dogs out to foster so that we can get a little better feel for their personalities. And that way, just because we assume this dog is going to be hyper, sometimes we send them to a foster, they're like, this dog is great. One walk a day, and he's happy just chilling on the couch. And we would not have suspected that from their behavior at the shelter but they're in a you know cooped up in a little kennel here and they're you know right. looking like they're they're just hyper but get them in a home they're like hey we're we're really a calm dog so hmm. interesting okay um yeah. kitty cats what's uh, what's what's popular with cats these days kitty cats so uh we have been almost empty in the adoption area we had a lot of strays really? that were coming in that were kind of waiting their turn to get over to adoption and i think we just kind of replenished our adoption area for kitties because we got some that came in and they, so their their time was up so they were able to get vetted and get moved over so i think we've got several cats and kittens in adoption my favorite who is link is still here um, mm-hmm. he's a beautiful orange tabby very sweet and loving he loves attention you know he makes biscuits he's just a, a doll so I don't have any idea why he's not been adopted yet. He's fantastic. Yeah, he does his little paws and he purrs. And when he first came in, he was extremely scared of everyone, but he has come around. He will headbutt you and, you know, give you the love. He's just a fantastic cat. So if anybody's, even if they're not a cat person, but they're maybe thinking of their first cat to get, this guy is amazing and still at the shelter. And the great thing about the cat adoptions, they're only $10, and that covers the spay or neuter, the microchipping, and all um, vaccinations. Uh, flea prevention, dewormer, all that's included in the adoption fee. So it's like pretty much give us enough to buy yourself a coffee and you'll get a friend for life. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the cats seem easier. I, I still am hesitant just because uh, all I see is a cat sitting on my keyboard every time I'm trying to work. Some of them do that, yes. And actually yeah. we had one of our cats here that was in our uh, chief's office he would just kind of hang out on his desk or in his chair. And so we were like, yeah, he's taking over your job. So, um, oh, yeah. But he actually got adopted. So, yeah, we were, we're on to, I think in our offices now we've got an old chihuahua that has no hair that's being treated. We've got our long-timer Molly, who's would be best for like an adult-only home, no other mm-hmm. pets, but she's super house-trained and super well-behaved. 
And then we have, who else do we have? Oh, we have an older dog named Lady who is like a, probably a boxer mix, beautiful little brindle girl, super house mm-hmm. trained as well. She's, um, she actually fosters in our dispatch area, so she's like super calm, chill, doesn't bark a lot. And they fostered cats in there with her as well. She doesn't really seem to care. She just kind of ignores the cat because the cats will be in a crate. And, you know, like if it's a neonate and they're kind of caring for them throughout the day, she just ignores them. And her thing is, like, let me lay on my bed around, throughout the day, take me out a few times, and let's just snuggle, and that's my life. And she, that's, that's what she lives for, just some snuggles, nice leisurely walks. So if someone's looking for a calmer dog, she'd be a great fit. Hmm. Now I want something hyperactive like me. <laughs> I, I, should get a, I should get a calmer pet to, to sort of counter my, my uh, Oh, well, I was going to say, sometimes mood. opposites attract you. Know, a calm dog yeah. to like bring you down and, you know, okay. like bring your heart rate down, let you kind of relax. Yeah. My heart rate is actually pretty good, but I, actually I don't get stressed doing this. This is relaxing for me. I know, I know oh, it's most people to do a three-hour radio show five days a week, but uh, for me it's just like this is my playtime. This is, this is the easiest yeah, part of my like day. The hard part is getting ready for water, the show. Drinking water, no big deal to you, I know. Yeah, it's the hour before the show that's intense. <laughs> Once the show's going, it's like, this is easy. Uh, well, you know, you think about stuff. Uh, one more question, then we'll see if, uh, for, mm-hmm. for news and stuff. Uh, the cost of feeding, I don't know if people think about that, but if you've got a Newfoundland, you, you, this, is, this is some substantial money or, or a great ding. You're going you're gonna to put a lot of money out per month on food, right? Um, yeah, that is something to think about. Now, the large breed dogs don't really eat that much more than, say, a, well, when I say large breed, I mean, like, big dogs, like you said, the Great Danes and the Newfies. Just your average 70-pound dog compared to your 100-and-something-pound dog, it's not a huge jump up on the amount of food, oh. surprisingly. Okay. But huh. if we go from the Chihuahua to the 70-pound dog, there is a huge mm-hmm. difference. So, you know, if you're thinking of all those things, which you should, like, yeah, you can buy one bag of dog food for that Chihuahua. It's going to last you, like, the whole month. Maybe for mm-hmm. a big dog, it's going to last you a week. So that is something to consider. Also, heartworm prevention and sleep prevention right. is going to be more pricey. The bigger dogs are, the higher you go on the weight, the higher the price on that is. So it's just something to consider when you are, you know, figuring out what can I afford, what what will work for my lifestyle. Those are things to always think about because, you know, if you forget, like, oh, gosh, i got to get heartworm prevention it would have cost me 30 bucks if I got a Chihuahua, but I got a great day, and now it's costing me 70 So, you know, little things like that are things to consider when you get a pet because that should be a lifetime commitment. It shouldn't be a, oh, I'm here, and then I'm going to move and give it away. That, that shouldn't be our – that should not be our mentality, and unfortunately it's like a disposable society, and people think of animals as disposable, and they absolutely should not be – should not be – you know, in our minds that way, but unfortunately, it's, a lot of people do think of them as like, oh, I'll, like my dog got out, well, I'll just go get another one. So, but then we have the other spectrum where people are just amazing pet owners, maybe almost a little obsessive, but I'd <laughs> rather have a crazy cat lady who's like taking her cat to Auburn to get special treatment for him than somebody who just doesn't care about their pet. Do you have crazy cat ladies adopting cats on a regular basis? You know, we really don't because I think those people are already probably taking care of like a whole colony somewhere (laughs) and and taking food to the colonies every day. We do have some crazy dog folks, actually. Some of them are our employees. So, you know, we have bleeding hearts here everywhere. People are just like, you know, a a dog comes in that's sometimes we have one gal and I think it's like the more broken the dog, the more she loves them. She is our Chihuahua whisperer. She's adopted multiple old Chihuahuas here over the years that basically no one wanted to adopt because they had heartworms or because they had a health issue. And uh, I think she's 
sits at about 16 right now. So she's kind of like the, uh, the retirement home for old little cute little old dogs. This is this is almost movie material. We better contact Disney. We're getting, we're <laughs> yeah. getting close to yeah, oh, that's fascinating. Well, if you ever want to bring any of these folks on, uh, other folks that work at the Santa Rosa County Animal Shelter, uh, the different rescue groups, any of that is, is, is fair game for the show here, and I think it would be uh, fascinating. Um, as usual, okay. all of a sudden it's like, oh, boy, we've got two minutes to go. <laughs> it's like, wow. Oh, yeah, it kind of goes fast. It just like goes zoop, and there it is. Oh, yeah, yeah. So events, what's happening? Things we should know about? Yeah, so this weekend we are going to be at Petco in Pensacola, and that's on Airport Boulevard. We're going to be there from 11 till 2, so we're going to have – maybe three puppies on this go-round, and then a lot of adult dogs. So this will be our first time at Petco. We're super excited to be over there, and so we hope people will come out. Uh, the adoption fees are going to be $25 per dog, so still very, very reasonable. That includes spay and neuter, microchip, the whole shebang. And then coming up in October, we have a gazillion events. So we've got, well, like, something in Pensacola. We've got a Barktoberfest. We've got Petco, PetSmart. So we have lots of lots of activities coming up in the fall. The weather's nice. There's lots of things to do in town. So you'll see us out and about. We're going to go visit a couple schools in October as well. And uh, we're just uh, we're also going to have another sponsored event sometime in October. Another, uh, I think a mortgage group is going to sponsor one of our dates. Uh, mm-hmm. They saw what a, you know, what a fantastic success it was with the Collins group, and I think they're going to do the same thing. So we're super excited about that yeah we should um something i was just thinking of for for events uh definitely to make videos and you can send them to me and i'll post them as well um but okay. there's um but there's something i was thinking of like traveling you mentioned airports uh, airport boulevard i was thinking uh, if you can make a note uh, for, we should talk about flying with your dog uh, oh, that would yeah, be something people absolutely. you know let's, let's, let's do just- that yeah yeah, because that's, that's another thing. Like, you have to get a lot of permits for that. But what I did right, just exactly. find out is if you fly on Spirit and you have a cat and they can go in the carrier under your thing, you don't even have to have a health certificate. One of our one of our volunteers, uh, their parents adopted a cat and they flew home and didn't even, yeah, I was very surprised. So cats are a lot easier to fly with, apparently, than dogs. Really? Unless you let the cat out of the yeah. bag, so to speak. Yeah, yeah right. absolutely. Couldn't <laughs> And it's trouble for everybody. Yeah, but you, but you can't take a doggy bag onto the to an airplane. They don't they don't uh, unless they're like a, a special one or small. Yeah, like a palm or something that would fit. And no, those are and honestly, you'd probably do better with a big dog as far as noise level. They'd probably be pretty okay. quiet. A palm's probably going to be a little yappy, but you know yeah. that's a generalization. But no, there are carriers for smaller dogs. Have, uh, pressurized cabins. Yeah, they're a little more vocal for the animals. Yeah, yeah. Well, let's do a little. I'll let you do a little more detailed report on that because I think people will start to travel again now that uh, you know, the, the the government COVID is kind of waning a little bit. And uh, unless, of course, they, they ramp it up for political reasons, there's no editorial. Well, let's hope <laughs> which, not. Which I, yeah, I think exactly. everybody could use some traveling. I think that would be good for our well, so you know our economy and people just yeah. getting out and visiting family. I think that's a uh-huh. good thing for everyone. Well, let's just talk about traveling with the dogs then. Uh, next time, let's do a little more extensive report so people okay. know how to Sounds do it, especially because it's better to travel with them in the fall than the spring than it was in the summertime. Okay. Well, there's oh, yeah. here. Let's just get a uh, phone number, website, Facebook page real quick again, and we'll talk to you All next right. week. All right. Sure. So we're at Santa Rosa County Animal Services, 4451 Pine Forest Road in Milton, Florida. Our phone number is 850-983-4680, and our website is santarosa.fl.gov slash animals or you can check us out on Facebook. Sounds good. Thanks, Tara. Talk to you next week. All right, thanks. Have a great weekend. You too. Money. What is it? How does it work? How do you get it to work for you? So many choices. Stocks, bonds, mutual funds. 
commodities. And then there are the markets, oil, gold, manufacturing, trade, energy, even government. To make sense of all the places your money can go, Derek Park, our Action Radio financial reporter, joins us Fridays at this time to make sense of the markets and your money. Yeah, I just heard it stated again on some political show that the economy is still the number one concern of people. And it was uh, James Carver who said uh, during the Clinton administration, uh, it's the economy, stupid. <laughs> it still is, isn't it? That's still really what people are, are thinking of. You know, the election stuff, they can do all the politics, they can do all the stuff they want. But it really comes down to it. You know, the, the money, money makes, makes the world go around. Money, you know, is the, 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 the ability to exchange for goods and services. I mean, that, that's what keeps us all going. Yeah, I actually, uh, um, you know, had a meeting with a one of a, one of our big fund partners last night, and um, mm-hmm. you know, they had this recession chart thing uh, that they they handed out, and basically it was saying that uh, you know the economy, while it's stable, um, you know, sixty five percentile of still potentially recession kind of thing. So well, what does that you know, mean? Sixty five percentile. What's that mean? Basically saying 65, it, it, there's it's 65 percent likely that there's that there's one coming, there's one on the oh. horizon. Wait, wait, wait. Hello, we've been in one for a couple of years now. <laughs> what yeah, are you talking yeah, about? All, I mean, you and I, we, not officially, we but that. <laughs> yeah. So it, it was, they're so scared of this word, but to me, the sooner you admit it, the sooner you, you the sooner you deal with it, and the sooner you deal with it, the sooner it's over. And the best thing to do right. is, to, is to say, yes, we're in a recession. We've been in a recession. So let's stop making money. Let's stop printing. We're well, not making money, but let's stop printing money. Let's take the, the, the measures that we can do best, you know, to get rid of inflation. But they're, they're doing just the opposite. They're maybe not printing as much money, but they're still printing it. You know, they don't get it. Yeah, they're I think, still on the accelerator. I, yeah. Yeah, I think with um, – I think with – you know, I mean, the, the, the current situation, I mean, with, with rates where they are and needing to stay and inflation, I mean, I think mm-hmm. they're still, you know, I mean, the economy is still going to remain under pressure. Yeah. And the thing that frustrates me about this is it's, it's not necessary. You know, free markets do work. Uh, yes, companies, you know, go broke. There is a, you know, there, I don't believe in too big to fail because there's no such thing. But if we actually let the free market work, if we just used, you know, the economy and the choices and, you know, things, we wouldn't have, you know, massive subsidies for electric cars. We wouldn't have, uh, mm-hmm. you know, the whole green energy thing. If, if we could just do, you know, what people would do in their best interest, it's the public good. And people say, well, we have to do things in the public good. Well, no, you don't. The public good is what the public decides individually. That's the public good. Right. And if these people would just get right. out of the way, Shut up, go home, you know, declare that the environment is, you know, you won, you know, 10 years ago. You did a great job. You, clean, you know, 1970 air sucked in Los Angeles, but that was pretty good. Okay, you won. You did the right thing. <laughs> now, and then just get out of the way. Just leave us alone. We want our, you know, I'm surprised they haven't, maybe I shouldn't say this, they haven't got after gas grills yet. <laughs> you know, but that's next, right? They're after gas stoves. Or are they, is gas grills included in the gas stove uh, problem? Do you know about that? or is, there, is I is, don't know. I mean, I heard about the gas stove. I didn't hear about any gas grills. No, I just thought of that just now. That's not a thing. I was just thinking I shouldn't mention it because why give them ideas? You know, what else can they cut? Yeah. Don't say it out loud, you mean? Well, no. Not, it's not like I'm on a radio show or something, so I think we're okay. <laughs> I love, before you get interest rates and, and the, the, the lack of oil and the strategic reserve and all the other things we've got, let's uh, can we have the report, please, and then we can uh, we can take a look at the numbers officially. 
Absolutely. I'm, I'm actually in the in the process of trying to get it pulled up while we were talking. It was dragging. Okay, I can feet. vamp. <laughs> I can vamp. No, 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 no. no. To, I got it. Here. stuff to talk about. All right. Well, uh, yep. good morning, everybody. This is Derek with the Action Radio Financial Report. Stocks lower as yields reach new high for the year. Stocks remain under pressure for the second day in a row and closed at their near lows as uh, investors digested yesterday's Fed rate decision. Also worries about the potential government shutdown emerged, further putting a dent in the investor sentiment. The main focus was on bond yields, which climbed to a multi-year high as the Fed plans to keep rates higher for longer, and the 10-year Treasury yield headed towards 4.5%, the highest since 2007, pressuring both growth-style investments and tech-heavy NASDAQ. Initial jobless claims released this morning declined to 201,000 for the week, below expectations and the lowest since January, corroborating the Fed's view of strong labor markets. The defensive sectors and energy sectors outperformed as WTI oil prices were little changed, hovering around $90. On the corporate front, shares of FedEx climbed after the company raised its earnings outlook. And now the U.S. equity closed lower, closed lower today. The Dow Jones down 370 points or 1.08% to 34070. And the NASDAQ closed down 245 points or 1.82% to 13,224. And the S&P 500 closed down 72 points or 1.64% to 4330. And again, in the bond market, 10-year Treasury yield is trading at 4.49%. In the commodity markets, price of crude oil was flat at eighty nine fifty nine, and the spot price of gold was down twenty seven dollars and ten cents, or one point three eight percent, to nineteen hundred and forty dollars. This is Derek with your Action Radio Financial Report. You can get me at eight five zero nine nine five zero zero eight two. Yeah, we should probably make a command decision. Do, do you want me to say page two, or just kind of leave that out? Just let you pause for a second. Yeah, doesn't matter. That's your thing, okay, man. Well, that's my chat. It's your, it's your <laughs> report. You know, I, just, I, I, I impose enough on everybody. <laughs> I, figured it'll, I should always give folks the option. Um, some interesting things in that report. I got Pianchi on. I'll bring him on in just a little bit. Um, but you've said stocks low, yields high. How does that work? Yeah. So, so well, the stock the stock market can go down, but the bond yields are going higher. And oh, the reason the bond yields are going, yeah. So, so it's talking about bond yields. And the reason the bond yields are going higher is, is uh, you know, the Fed, when they came out and said, hey, we're going to pause for right now on the rate hike, so they'll meet again in November. So we kind of kind of have a, about a month and a half, you know, sitting on these rates and seeing how it's going to work. Um, you know, but they said, you know, instead of us, you know, in, in, uh, starting to cut rates, you know, in the beginning of the year, like we thought we were going to be doing, um, you know, we may have to hold a little longer. And they didn't specify how long, but the market didn't like that. You know, the market reacted negatively to that. Oh. Um, you know, See, there's so nothing I never thought of. Yeah. That holding the rates stable, you know, if they're high, that's a, that's a detriment. And we think of, you know, raising the rates is the problem, but even leaving them, you know, at the same rate higher as, as opposed to reducing them, you know, 25 basis points or whatever, that's still a problem for the market, isn't it? I mean, that's interesting. I never thought of it. Um, it, it's a problem for companies because understand they have to borrow money at those higher rates. So, you know, right. where does that transpose to? It transposes to the companies not making as much money. So, it, it, it is bad for the market. Does that mean that you know the companies won't have gains? No, it doesn't. It just means you know they're not going to move nearly as quick as they were you know two years ago at a zero interest rate environment. You know, so um, you know growth uh, has a potential to, to to move a lot more. 
um, you know, companies like Amazon, Google, um, you know, and small small companies, you know, they can get loans and move very quickly. Now because, um, you know, the rates are so high, you know, it kind of stagnates that. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, something, I don't know we've, if this even gets measured in, but the fact that we have millions of, of new people here, uh, are, they, are they figuring into unemployment or, or anything, the, uh, the amount of extra people? Uh, and that's all goes to worker participation rate. But you've got a whole, we've got you know, New York. You know, are companies investing in New York, for example, knowing that they're getting, what, 10,000 people a week or something, some ridiculous amount or a month? Uh, of new people being flooded in there. And it's their own fault. I mean, it's the government's fault that these people are here. But I'm just wondering, has that mm-hmm. affected the, is, is that economic effect showing up on the markets yet in terms of where people are putting money or, or no. jobs and things? Okay. Yeah, I would say probably jobs, yes. Um, okay. You know, I mean, there there's going to be an impact. Is there an impact that is showing right now? No. Um, you know, but, but uh, I mean, obviously there will be, and will that transpose to the market? I'm sure at some point it will, um, because, you know, obviously the labor market feeds into where the economy is going. So, you know, I mean, there, there's, you know, one and then the other. So I would say eventually it will, um, but right now I haven't seen anything. Yeah, see, I would add an index, the illegal alien unemployment rate. <laughs> or somebody would just, you know, <laughs> like, well, these, you know the, the illegal alien uh, employment effect rate, because illegal aliens can't work here, he said. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but you know, uh, stuff happens. So I, I'd just be curious. I mean, we're watching this really closely. I'll be talking in the next hour um, about the effects of mass migration and, and the destruction of the country. Um, but uh, I want to talk about money now. So, um I guess the Fed rate, the other thing. Let's talk about oil for a bit because oil is 90. I heard it was as high as $100 at some point, and California is like pushing $6 a gallon for gas because they have their special formula and limited refineries. Uh, but And again, mm-hmm. Strategic Petroleum Reserve, they've already you know stolen it. Uh, so there's not much more to to take to uh, you know stabilize or to bring down the price. You know, of course, what they should do is just develop oil like Trump was doing, but they're not doing that. And so given this, any, any forecasts they have for oil or gas prices? No, but I know I saw an article that I think it was Goldman Sachs moved their outlook to $100 a barrel. Yeah, that's where I heard it. Okay, so that, I know I'd heard it from somewhere. All right. And they're saying, do they, do they have yeah. a forecast as to when and what's going to cause no, that? No, I didn't, I, I didn't see it. Just, uh, it just said, it said that uh, potentially um, that, was their, that was their target. Huh. So that's not good. I mean, 80 is a nice place. <laughs> you know, nice. Okay. How did they, he's not getting over $100 a barrel, so that's getting kind of crazy. Um, you mentioned something else, too, and then we got to Pianchi. Uh, treasuries. And you had, like, a, the highest yield since 2007. Well, 2007, mm-hmm. isn't that the year before 2008? <laughs> we know what happened then. Uh, is this, is this oh, yeah. an indicator yeah, yeah, yeah. of anything? What, so, what do you think? Um, so, so rising interest rates is not always a concern um, for the market, you know, but – um, you know, keep in mind, um, there was also a lot of big pressure that was going on in 2007, right? All the banks were kind of coming to the table saying, hey, we're about to, we're about to default, um, you know, and a lot of companies were saying, hey, we're about to default because we've got loans that the banks are saying mm-hmm. that they're not going to secure, you know what I mean? And once they started coming out saying all that stuff, that, that turned into a giant snowball, you know, so it was just like, oh, my gosh, you know what I mean? But it took, you know, the bottom line was it took, oh, what did it take the market 13 months to hit the bottom, I think it was? Mm-hmm. Um, and the bottom of the market was uh, March of 09. 
you know, so it started at the end of 07, if I'm not mistaken. Might be at 14 months. Don't quote me on that. You know, anyway, um, um, you know, that's that's where the trouble started. But, uh, you know, where we are now, um, you know, the economy is a lot stronger than it was at that point in time. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? That was kind of a tipping point and a recipe for disaster. So do I want to do I want to say that that, uh, you know, the high rates are going to push us into that? No. But, you know, eventually a recession is almost needed to kind of work work everything out. You know, what I mean, it's part of the economic cycle. You know that, right? No, no, you know, I understand. So. I understand recessions. See, I don't worry about recessions. You know, because mm-hmm. it, it just means that uh, you need to, uh, you know, get the government out of the way even more. You know, but my problem is that these things are self-inflicted. You know, it's like right. if you're a fair-skinned person going out in the heat of the day in the sun and you get sunburned. How did that happen? Well, because you were an idiot. <laughs> you know, you did all the right, wrong things. Right. Whereas if you went on yeah. a dawn or a sunset, you'd be fine. Yeah, it's the same thing with the economy. Yeah. If you raise the interest rates, if you you know, spend money and print money, which everybody knows, well, at least they should, uh, the government people know, the people that are doing it know it causes inflation. They just don't care. Uh, so because the, there's always the bailout. It's like the, the, the analogy with the gambler. You know, uh, the way that we treat the, the biggest companies and banks is like a gambler who, you know, if they make money, if they, if they win, they get to keep their winnings. But if they lose, you know, then the government reimburses them for their losses. So there's no incentive, right. you know, to, right. to not gamble because either way you win. Well, I think companies mm-hmm. are the same way. Um, I, this is my take a little economic research. I'm just curious. But back when we didn't bail out companies. Um, mm-hmm. Like I, th- I think if I remember the depression, the depression, the the thirties depression lasted a long time because everybody was bailed out because there was massive government spending because there was printing and because there were, because there was inflation. But there was a there was a problem back in the twenties, I think in Calvin Coolidge's time when they did not bail out the companies when there was a recession, but uh, the, or a depression. But instead of 10, 12 years, it was like one and it was it was done with. So the natural cycle of recession, if left alone, provides buying opportunities because prices drop, you know, stocks drop, and, and people go, oh, this is pretty good. Let's start buying. And, and it, you know, recession corrects itself simply because when things are less expensive, people buy more of them, simple supply and demand. So I'm just wondering if, mm-hmm. if there's like big companies. Do you know any big companies that failed and the government said, well, okay, <laughs> see ya, <laughs> you know, um, wasn't there a big um, one of the, not the, the big top, investments? I mean, I, I'm you know. sure it's happened. Um, you know, so, um, you know, Sears. do you know, know any examples off the top of Sears my head? Roebuck. No. Yeah. Sears Roebuck failed. I don't think there's Sears anymore. Yeah. Is there? All right. How about the oh, airlines? I mean, I don't know that Sears still exists anymore, but, um, you know, yeah, they That's did fail. Company. Yeah. Uh, they well, I mean, bailed out. Golly, look uh, at the, the giant building that they have. <laughs> yeah. Sears like, Tower. Yeah. yeah. Who's in it now? You yeah. Know, Nakashima. <laughs> Nakasomi. <laughs> yeah, sorry. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But uh, I was just saying the airlines. So the, the, basically, when the airlines failed, that you know basically killed my airline career. Um, as I got all my hours, and you know, by, by the time I got all my ratings, I was flat broke. And then, of course, when they left, all the students left. But in uh, '92, I, I don't remember the airlines. I don't remember Pan Am, TWA, Braniff, uh, National, Western, Eastern. Um, all these airlines that existed. Pan American. Pan, yeah, Pan Am was the big one. Yeah, they didn't get bailed yeah. out. And yeah. the airlines, said, I don't think know, WorldCom. Uh, I don't think WorldCom did either. What's WorldCom? Enron. Yeah, um, there you go. WorldCom Cylinder. was was <laughs> well, a uh, yeah WorldCom. Um, I don't know if they were telecommunication company or tech company, uh, mm-hmm. but you know, I mean, they basically kind of outpaced their growth and ended up going bankrupt, and it was kind of a big thing in the tech yeah. world. 
Wasn't there a big investment company? Um, what was the one that, that John Hussman used to advertise? We earn money the old-fashioned, or we make our money the old-fashioned way. We earn it. That company. What was Remember that? that one? Who is that? Well, there was a company no. that Pianchi, let's get Pianchi in the conversation here because there was a company that was a big investment company. We, not all the investment companies, you know, lasted through 2008. And I forgot which one it is. When or when E.F. Hutton speaks, people listen, kind of thing. I don't know if E.F. Hutton's still around, but there was uh, there was a big investment company that went broke and and did not get bailed out. It was a Wall Street company. Pianchi, do you know what I'm talking about? I'm, I'm just trying to think. That the, the government's very selective about which ones they bail out, and which ones they don't. Well, it has a lot to do with the name, too, like American Airlines compared to TWA and Northwest and uh, Eastern. Yeah, Northwest and Eastern, Northwest Orient, they're gone, too. Yeah. Well, uh, Pan Am, Pan yeah. American, it was, it was America's international TD, airline. Uh, yeah. It was TD Wacker, Watcher or something. They merged with Ameritrade. Now Ameritrade, TD Ameritrade has been bought up by... Uh, Charles Schwab, all my accounts moved to Charles Schwab. Yeah, and I'm talking about companies that were that, that, that merged, uh, although a lot of that goes on. But I'm thinking of companies that went broke, and it just I didn't never thought about this until just now. But the, the government is selective. Certain companies get bailed out, and certain ones don't. We got these mid-sized banks. That Silicon Valley Bank got bailed out, but um, was it Bear Stearns? They did not get so they did not get bailed out. Uh, they, oh, they did not the get bailed FDIC, out. No, they did not. So the FDIC was saying that they would, they would cover them if need be. But uh, J.P. Morgan swooped up and and gobbled that one. <laughs> that was a bigger fish. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's so that's, to... well, it, oh, and that's normally yeah. when when yeah. banks fail. You know, what I mean, people. You know, what I mean, I, I have people that 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 I have appointments with all the time. They're just like, oh, mm-hmm. I, you know, you know, I mean, I don't I don't trust banks and I don't trust this. Okay, look. You know, what I mean, it, you need to find somewhere to trust your money because that's the way that we do business, right? Um, yeah. You know, and next, that's why there's FDIC insurance, right? Mm-hmm. You don't trust them, but they're going to back you, right? Um, you know, and, and our company personally buys buys FDIC insurance up to two point five million dollars, right? So we mm-hmm. do more than the average bear. So you know, what I mean, you're really covered. The next thing is, is like when these banks fail. Like they don't just fail, right? Okay, because there's going to be somebody that comes in and wants that business, right? Right. So you know, I mean, I think I even said this on the show. I was like, I said, I almost bet you money that there's going to be offers on the table, and I'll blow and behold, the next day, J.P. Morgan is like, you know, hey, we're going to buy it for you know a hundred billion, or I don't know what it was. You know, I can't remember. But you know, they what they do is they go in and cut their throat. You know what I mean? They go in and they say. Okay, you have X number of dollars in loans that are paying this average amount. We're going right. to pay you out this amount, you know, that equates to them getting zero percent, basically, <laughs> and says, "Here's your here's your chance to walk away from it." So they they cut their throat. So all the, you know, so all the main shareholders, right? Because the way the business, when the business breaks down, and I it, I could get this wrong because this is like in my licensing stuff. When the okay. business breaks down, there's a process for how the how the owners or shareholders get paid, right? It's right. like the company execs, like number one. The next, it's like the uh, 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 the the people, the financial backers, and there's a name for them, and I can't remember what it oh, is. Oh, the creditors. And the next one is, um, it, it might be that, and and I can't remember. There's a name, and then there's mm-hmm. um, 
the private stockholders, and then the mm-hmm. final one is all the stockholders. Well, guess who probably doesn't get paid? <laughs> the stockholders, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, or those, those are, are, so by the time the private <laughs> stock else. people are yeah. paid out, yeah. right, um, you know, there, there's no money left, you know. So, uh, you know, J.P. Morgan came in and scooped them up, um, or scooped up their business would be rather, yeah, you know, rather – don't they declare bankruptcy, which is kind of interesting of that word, you know, having bank in it. But don't they? I thought they declared bankruptcy and just reorganized and, and did what, what bankrupt companies do. They restructure, reorganize, and come back. But now um, they've lost they, all their business can, to another but, bank. Yeah, yeah that, they can, huh. but that also means that they're going to have to buy the business back from the bank at, at whatever it is that they pay for it. And I'm sure based on the large deal that there's some stipulations in those contracts, I would assume. Mm. You know what I mean? Like it's there, there's nobody – foolish enough, even whatever they did to, to not do stuff like that. So I'm sure there's some type of back door for them to come back. Um, whether they come back or not, I, I have no idea. Interesting. Pianki, did you have a question? Because there's like tons of things going on with our economy. No, I was just listening to one of my favorite shows with Derek. Yeah. So I always <laughs> want to make sure I hear what you got to say. Oh, yeah. Well, I, mine too. I mean, this is a Piaki, cool Piaki's got a Schwab pulled up while we're on here. Jeez, <laughs> <laughs> he's checking all the latest everything. Yeah, you, you get in the mood. Well, we try and cover everything on the show. In fact, we have a newer, uh, uh, a friend of mine, a uh, uh, real journalist, you know, uh, Jessica Rivera is going to be starting to report on Mondays and we're doing investigative reports. Uh, so things are happening. We've got Christina Bob coming uh, Tuesday, uh, Trump's attorney. And so uh, this, we're, we're on the verge of some. You know, you know, talk about you know corporate growth. We're on the verge of an explosion, I think, uh, nationwide. I've been saying that for a while, but you know, you get a little bit closer every time. Um, so the campaign. Let's talk about that a little bit because we've got uh, Bidenomics, which is a joke. Uh, are these people actually going to try and run on this stuff? Um, and and how how is the economy going to be uh, affecting or, or or like over the next year? Because we're pretty much in election season now. You know, Brandon's going to start to raise money, and uh, Trump's going to start getting out there more and more. Uh, and they're going to try and throw him in jail. But besides that, the economy is, is going to be the issue, no matter what else people talk about. People don't it, care about it's definitely, policy, even though it's important. It's definitely yeah. going to be the issue. And I, and I okay. personally, this is okay. Let me let me take off my financial advisor hat for a minute because this is a sure. this is a meism, right? Um, okay. You know, I I have two kind of theories with this, right? Um, you know, the the Democrats are up under pressure. Mm-hmm. Um, because they don't have anybody other than Biden, right? There's nobody. So, um, and they realize what kind of a hole they've dug themselves in. So their options really are, um, mm-hmm. one, we got to kind of get softer on oil to allow the prices to come down next year. Or, you know, we got to make it look like things are doing good, right, to help inflation, to make it look like we're much better so we can help our voting chances, right? I think mm-hmm. they're under pressure for something very similar to that, to help the economy, make people feel better about the economy, whatever that takes, right? Mm-hmm. On the other side of things, I think they also know that they've lost. There is no chance for them to win. There is a Republican that will eventually take over. So they're well, like, you know, legally. the best, in, <laughs> you don't forget vote fraud, the best you know, analogy legally. that I can give is, you know, they're yeah. going to get in a car and drive this thing as fast as they can to the wall and then hand it off to the Republicans right before it hits the wall. You know what I mean? Like, like, and, and then they'll just point fingers. They'll just be like, oh, yeah. look at what the Republicans did. They ruined the economy, yeah. you know, and it's yeah. just like, you know, trying to explain that to the common person once the news gets a hold of that is, is, mm-hmm. is, is impossible. 
You know what I mean? Like, okay, nothing leading up to this led to this. You're just assuming that one person came in the office and then all of a sudden flipped the switch and this happened. And the next day, you know, um, everything sucked. Yeah. 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 Right. That's, so, so you know, yeah. I mean, this is really a meism. I personally think it's the latter. I personally think that they're going to drive this car into the wall and then, you know, pass it off right before it crashes. Um, you know, it's been as much, uh, borrow as like much. I Print as much, I mean, yeah. as much as they can do, right? Okay, interesting. Sure, you know, and I mean, it's hmm. a, it's a meism, you know what I mean? But you know, I'm not saying that it doesn't hold water, you know what I mean? Um, um, you no, know, there's a there's a there's a statistic. Yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah, there's a statistic that says um, every Republican, um, you know, in office has seen a major recession, right? Every mm-hmm. Republican has, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and weirdly enough. You know, because of COVID, so has Trump. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, yeah. um, you know, it's, it, it's, you know, I mean, if COVID never happened, then it wouldn't have applied to him, right? Um, well, yeah, you know, but because a of COVID. Thing. Yeah. If, if, mm-hmm. if COVID had gone the way that uh, we talked about way back in February and March of 2020, we had chloroquine, we had a mm-hmm. cure, we had uh, hydroxychloroquine later, we had ivermectin, we had treatments. They were low cost, they were effective, they worked. You never had to spend on the vaccine. You never had to spend on mandates or lockdowns. All that stuff was, was BS and it was unconstitutional. So everything they did was wrong. Everything they did preserved COVID so they could market their vaccines and make untold billions of dollars of illegal profit, as far as I'm concerned. And they're not safe and they're certainly not effective. Um, so all that. But if we just went the natural, again, freedom, I wrote an article for Substack, the, the cure for COVID was freedom. And if freedom and the free mm-hmm. exchange of information had been allowed to take place, this thing would have been over with in a couple of months. And there would have been no loss in the economy. And Trump's economy would have been fabulous. Um, and it's not to say they still wouldn't have stolen the election because they hate him, because he's changing the system. But it would have been a lot tougher, I think, given the fact that yeah. uh, uh, that the, the man and people are still, there's a lot of Republicans out there don't like what uh, Trump did, me included, but I know he's one pissed off hombre and he's going to come back. He's the only oh, yeah. person who's going to drain the deep state because every other candidate is the deep state. That's why I'm a Trump supporter. And also I'm a Kennedy well, supporter I think, for, uh, for the same reason. Yeah. Uh-huh. I think now he's, he's under a lot more pressure than he ever was before to get something done, you know, and I think we're, we're, and this is a personal, you know, thing. I think his mm-hmm. mistake was, was he tried to be nice about it. You know what I mean? Like yeah. he didn't he tried to be political. He tried to be like, OK, hey, let's let's do this the right way. Let's give these people an opportunity. And it burned him, mm-hmm. you know. So now now he's going to come in, you know, cutting throats, um, you know, so <laughs> I'm curious. You know. This is well, well, uh, let's do a little forecasting. Let's go. Let's go in your ballpark, which is economics. So Trump comes in. Right. And I really think he's going mm-hmm. to. I, I th- and I'm hoping for it looks like Kennedy. because I, I think you're right. There is no single. You know, there's no Vivek Ramaswamy, which I think is a total fraud, but there's nobody like him in the Democrat Party that's coming forward and I'm the new future of the Democrat Party because they're all in the, mm-hmm. the, the, the 80s. They're the, the octogenarian party. Um, but if Trump comes in and all of a sudden everything that Biden did gets reversed, you know, all the restrictions on oil, all the leases go out, the production is opened up, the spigot is thrown open. You know, and mm-hmm. all the all the subsidies to China are ended, and the electric cars are dumped, and the green energy regulations are gone, and all of a sudden the economy, you know, not only gets a jump start, it gets an afterburner. It's like, whoa, hang on, <laughs> you know, and this thing takes off. It's yeah. going to be fascinating, and it wouldn't take long to get us back in in decent shape once the once the brakes are off, the chains are broken, and the economy, the the the, the market comes back. It wouldn't take it wouldn't take long to see positive uh, results. 
Oh, no, not think? at all. Um, but yeah. I, I do I so so I don't know that it's going to write itself that quick. You know what I mean? Like you you still you still have a debt problem. Right. You still have right. a monetary issue policy uh, issue, you know, with the government. Um, you know, it, I still believe that a recession is kind of needed to kind of reset that. Okay. Um, so, you know, um, but I do believe, you know, I mean, if they do take office that, you know, these oil leases are going to open up, Keystone's going to come back to life, you know what I mean? Yep. Like, oh, yeah, stuff be, that was turned the off. Wall, which, the wall, which will be built like in three yeah. days. <laughs> you know? Yeah, which I'm, will help the economy, um, yeah. you know what I mean? So, um, you know, th- th- there's there's going to be some gives and gets. Um, you know, do I think it's going to happen immediately? No. Um, you know, I mean, I, I hope it happens immediately, but and I hope I'm wrong. Well, change. Um, you know, the regulations will change, but the economy. So there's a lag time. You know, when we talk about things here, people should understand you know, we're talking six months to a year in the future. So when we say there's a, you know, there people say, well, the, by the time they've declared a recession, it's already been here for a year. So these things, there is a lag yeah. time for everything. The interest rates, you know, they haven't, uh, they haven't been lowered. So the interest rates have, interest rates haven't changed, but the market's already going, wait a minute. You know, we, we, we were kind of hoping for a change because down the road, we're going to, we want to buy stuff, you know, at a lower interest rate. So there's always that lag time. I know, I think it's going to be fascinating. Uh, I think the biggest problem, and I have to ask Christina Bob about this Tuesday, is how are you going to kick out all the people that Brandon brought in? That's going to be huge because these people mm. are going to screw up everything. So what about – and here's another thing, too. So you're talking about the Democrats can't win because they've screwed up everything. You've got New Yorkers who are screaming about all the people that are there. You know, sanctuary so you cities California great. people. Yeah, what's you got going on California there? people that are screaming. You know, so, I, I, I mean, I – the guy, I, I think it's going to be very interesting, um, you know, I mean, coming next year and then 2026, you know what I mean, mm-hmm. when it's time for these, um, you know, congress- congressional districts and all that stuff to come up, um, you know, that, that's also going to be an interesting scope. Is that the census? The census, uh, or what are you talking about? What's 2026? Oh, the midterm? Uh, that's when the, that's when, that's when they, uh, that's when you're, um, uh, oh my gosh, um, the House and the Senate. You know what I mean? They come up for their elections. Well, they're every two years, so so they're going to come up next year too. Right. Yeah. Wait, well, the Senate, they, well, yeah, one third of the Senate, but the entire House is up every two years. I, I don't. I don't think the focus is going to be there. Is what I'm trying to say. I think oh, I you know when the, when the time for them to change in the mid drift, that's normally when right. you get your biggest impact. Yeah. So um, you know, I mean, I, I think for the next two years, yeah, we'll 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 be good, you know. But um, I'm just saying, in the interim, you know what I mean? Like, a, if 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 they have, I I don't know that even this one they're going to get a country, complete, you know, power control. But if they do, um, that's that's uh, that's when things I would assume would start happening a little bit more. <clears throat> Well, my problem is, uh, you know, as we all say, is if uh, the government remains the same and you have a do-nothing Republican Party and uh, basically an illegal Democrat Party, you know, if, if things, if the same group is in power in 20, you know, after the 2024 election, I think people, mm-hmm. have, uh, they, they've waited, they said, you know what, this is bad, but it's not, it's not bad enough that we can't recover from it, you know, next year. However, if this same political situation happens, ah, all bets are off. You know, if you have the same crew, you know, if you have the same crew of Republicans not doing anything, the geldings, uh, and the same crew of Marxist Democrats, you know, with all their all their programs that nobody wants, 
uh, and they keep bringing all these people. Well, in the next hour, I'm going to talk about uh, some of the cares. Let me get your opinion if you have uh, another minute here. That uh, people have been saying for you know since since Brandon got in that all these illegals are here for Democrats. That they're going to turn them into illegal Democrat voters. I'm not convinced of that anymore because it suddenly occurred to me they can steal the elections anyway. And if you can steal the elections, mm-hmm. you don't need a bunch of people. So I figured the people must be here for another reason. And I was thinking about Europe and the, 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 the German chancellor said, oh, it's wonderful to have all these Muslims coming into our country. It'll be great for Germany. No, it won't, you stupid idiot. It's going to ruin Germany. <laughs> Germany's <laughs> not going to be Germany anymore. Stupid fool. Right. You know? and, and so the same thing here. So uh, you can speak economically but, or even politically, but you can't bring in millions of people and keep your country the way it was because these people, they don't know about the Constitution. They don't know about the Declaration of Independence. They don't know about hard work. Right. They're here for freebies. They're here for handouts. And they're right. all basically young military-age men who are coming in. I've seen the yeah. loads. It's all over the news. You know, who are probably going to have you know, what they think are American – I think they're bringing in men so they can have you know, American children by birthright citizenship, which doesn't exist. Um, but there's, there's, a, there's a huge problem. You can't bring in 15 million people. And not have that have a massive impact. So the question is, oh, yeah. how are they going to go? Yeah, yeah. So do you, well, is anybody looking at the economic that's impact the of big all these question. people? Yeah, okay. What's that? Has anybody looked into the economic impact? I mean, I've got a couple of articles I'll be going over uh, this hour. But I, I, know they, I know they have, and I've right. seen stuff, you know. Um, I've seen stuff that, that uh, has the impact on our social systems, you know, yeah. which also is, is, is some of the biggest points of concern when it comes to our budget. Um, you know, so I know that there's stuff out there. I would have to go find it specifically. Well, yeah, if you make a note, maybe you just think about it. If it's something you want to report on, uh, if you get some spare time, I'd be interested in the economic uh, impact. I think politically, we already know what it is. Even Democrats mm-hmm. hate this. You know, look at uh, Martha's Vineyard, or as we call it, Mighty Whitey Island. You know, as soon as they had some illegals, you know, they well, all, they all, everybody, they, they like it. They, they like it and they don't care about it as long as it's not in their state. What is it uh, George Carlin used to say? NIMBY, not in my yeah. backyard. Not in my backyard. Yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah. The brown and black people in the world are great as long as they're not in the white land. <laughs> you know, it's like, oh, you liberal racist, you know, anyway. Uh, but this is going to be, I think this is going to be fascinating uh, and dangerous. Yeah. Um, to watch this. But uh, yeah, yeah you, I, th- I really think it's now they're really trying to just bring about the destruction of the country uh, by changing the people, by bring, bring enough non-Americans into America such that, you know, the Americans get outnumbered. That's, it's, it's like the great replacement that the, you know, we're being accused of while they're doing it. Anyway, yeah. um, I'm sure you have to go, but um, yep. yeah, let's, uh, let's get your phone number again and anything else you want to say and we'll All see right. you next week. No, we'll see you next week. Uh, thanks, everybody. This is uh, Derek with the Action Radio Financial Report. If uh, you want to talk, you can give me at 850-995-0082. All right. Thanks, Derek. Talk to you next week. Yep. All right. Let me play, let me play some contact stuff real quick. And also, Cowgirl Candace. That's hard to say. Let me try that again. Cowgirl Candace is returning um, today after for many, actually a few months, I think. Of, of, of travel, so our, our, our resident philosopher is going to be back in the in the following hour. This hour, we're going to do something a little bit different. So let me play a couple things, and I'll be right back. Here is your Action Radio contact and website information. The call in line is two one five three eight three three eight three two. Our show site is blogtalkradio.com slash citizen action. Same link, live and a podcast. Please share all our shows. We have live chat at the bottom of the broadcast page available worldwide. Sign in to your free account and type away. We have an internet Skype line where you can call the show worldwide also. 
please see the broadcast page for our Skype name. Call in during the show to get approved. Our bill writing site is writeyourlaws.com, W-R-I-T-E-Y-O-U-R-L-A-W-S, writeyourlaws.com. This is where anyone can write a bill and start the process of it becoming law. My paid and free subscription column is at gregpenglis.substack.com. Please consider a paid subscription of $5 per month or greater. For contributions to Action Radio, please go to givesendgo.com slash actionradio. We have over 20 Action Radio Facebook groups. Use the Facebook search window by putting in Action Radio to find our groups. My public email is greg at writeyourlaws.com. Please contact me about advertising on Action Radio and helping our mission of freedom. Thank you for listening. Greg Penglis here for my book, The Complete Guide to Flight Instruction. Everyone at some point in their life wants to learn how to fly. Few try. Even fewer go on to get a license. I believe a major reason for that is how we teach people how to fly. My book is designed to help you navigate the flight training system, but it's so much more than that. It really describes an entirely new way to teach flying. So if you've never tried a lesson or got discouraged in your training and quit for any reason, this book can help you. Don't be a rope pilot who just follows procedures. Be a thinking pilot who makes great decisions, who understands all the reasons why we do what we do. You can incorporate these principles into your own flight training at any time. The Complete Guide to Flight Instruction is featured on the Action Radio with Greg Pankless Facebook page and is available from Amazon.com. Do you know your way around healthcare, insurance, pharmacies, surgery, alternative treatments and choices? I don't. Which is why I'm so glad I met Priscilla Romans, had her on Action Radio, and learned about health patient advocacy. She is the founder of Grave Care. And now as an affiliate of Grave Care, we are proud to offer through our discount code, WYL, which stands for Write Your Laws, a 10% discount. Grave Care saves you both time and money. They provide medical advocacy, consultation, advice, and recommendations nationwide. Their website is gravecare.com. That's G-R-A-I-T-H-Care.com. You can email them at gravecare.adm at gmail.com or call them at 469-864-7149. That's 469-864-7149. Grave Care, better health through better knowledge and advocacy. This is Greg Penglis. So what is Action Radio? It is a radio show with its own citizen legislature. That's you, the listener. It is a fully interactive system of listeners, expert guests, social media, writing bills, legislator input, bill submission, lobbying, and citizen action. Action Radio is the future of talk radio using all the available technology in one completely integrated new system. You are listening to Action Radio Online with Greg Penglis. 
The webpage for all Action Radio shows and podcasts is blogtalkradio.com slash citizenaction. Please share our show with all your friends and family, both nationally and internationally. The guiding principle of Action Radio is this. We the people give our consent to be governed through writing the laws by which we are governed. Action Radio, dedicated to fixing everything. Yeah, we're working on it. We'll get there someday. Um, this is actually, nobody's on the board, and I don't think anybody's on live chat. So uh, first hour I've had to myself for a while, which is, actually, I'd rather talk to other people. This is the whole point of a talk show, uh, is that so we get everybody else's viewpoint. But every once in a while, it's good to kind of, you know, get a story out in detail. So that's what I want to do, uh, uh, do today. Uh, and that is the, the idea, this is a revelation I had yesterday, that why would the Democrats need millions of people to vote Democrat when they can simply steal the elections? And so it occurred to me that what's really going on here, um, and I, I don't, I'm surprised, you know, every time I think of something, I think, why didn't I think of that sooner? <laughs> this is my initial reaction. Um, but it, it seems to me that, uh, that this is all about uh, destroying the country uh, by bringing in enough non-Americans to basically dilute the Americans to the point where there aren't enough Americans who know about this country, who know about our principles, who know about our history. And, and once the statues is trying to take, I think in New York is trying to take down the, the George Washington, Thomas Jefferson, Ben Franklin, anybody that uh, was the founding father, you know, said, well, they own slaves. Well, a lot of people own slaves back then as Dan Ball said on one American news. And so uh, that's, that's kind of, uh, that, you know, yes, <laughs> but on the other hand, um, you know, without the Founding Fathers' uh, writings and fighting and, you know, uh, the war for independence and, and uh, you know, the Constitution, the Bill of Rights, nobody would have rights, you know. And so, you know, there is no perfect thing. You know, it's like uh, accusing Martin Luther King of having affairs and, and then saying, well, everything he did for civil rights doesn't matter. And you can't do that because people are complex. Things happen. Stuff goes on. We are, uh, you know, in the times that we live in. You know, maybe the, you know, 200 years from now, people look upon us um, with what we're doing, you know, creating, you know, silicon chip computers and, and realizing how dangerous silicon is. You know, so how could they do that back then? They were horrible. They, 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 or, or they allowed people to smoke or they, they were doing, um, you know, they were, they were giving, you know, billions of people were, were taking these things they were calling vaccines and we know they don't work. How could they be so barbaric? You know, and, uh, you know, it, I mean, it's the same kind of thing. So you are in the time that you live in. Yeah, it's still wrong. And they knew it was wrong. Um, but, uh, but it's just, you know, like I said, I'm not going to, it's, it, you don't erase your history, um, because of things that are being used to, to basically, you know, get rid of your history and change it. So nobody knows it really happened. If the only thing you know about our founding was that some people own slaves, um, then, uh, you're missing the whole point of what this country is anyway. So what the communists do is they, uh, they, you know, history starts, you know, day one. So everything that happened previously gets gone away. And you can watch any of the great, you know, uh, political thrillers uh, in the movies. They all do the same thing. History has gone. You start from ground zero. Everybody, everybody belongs to the state. You're all, you know, DNA coded and restricted and, you know, all the other kind of stuff. You know, from Demolition Man to Hunger Games to, you know, to the movie 1984 to V for Vendetta to Soil and Green. You know, I could do it. I could do this all day, right? So political th- thrillers, they all have the basic theme, which is kind of funny because Hollywood, you know, represents the, the oppressive state over the individual, even though they make uh, movies of the individual rebelling against the oppressive state. It's kind of funny, but uh, that's, that's how, uh, that, that's, that's projection. That's the, 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 the Hegelian Marxist dialectic. You know, that's, that's, that's uh, uh, what do they call it? Projection. 
projection where whatever you're doing, you project onto somebody else because you, you can't accept the fact that you're doing it because, you know, it's evil, but you're doing it anyway because <laughs> it meets your ends. So, so that's the question. What if mass migration were uh, not for cheap labor, uh, not for votes, but simply just to destroy this country like it's happening in Europe? You know, where uh, millions and millions of, of uh, Arab and uh, African uh, Muslims, you know, are just streaming into Christian, you know, Western Europe. They're not going to Eastern Europe. <laughs> We're not in the same numbers. Uh, and certain companies are keeping them out. Countries are keeping them out, like Israel, you know, and uh, certain countries are not, like Germany and Sweden. And they're paying the, the Germany and Sweden are paying the price. Britain, too, is the thing. You know, it's a, you know, liberal white guilt is, is, is a terrible thing, especially when you let your nation be destroyed over it. So that's my question. That is my question, is what is this really uh, – and obviously the, Demo- the Democrat Party uh, is thinking beyond their own members because the, you, know, you look at the working families out there. They don't want all these people in the neighborhoods and in their schools. You know, the, uh, the, the union members, they don't want them. <laughs> you know, city of New York, the communities, they don't want them. Nobody wants all these extra people because they're not Americans. They shouldn't be here. Everybody knows they shouldn't be here. They got nothing to do with this country. They didn't earn the, 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 the ability to come here. They didn't you know, sign up and prove their worth. Prove that they, you know, they were going to be good American citizens. They probably aren't even going to become American citizens. They just want our money. They want easy, easy street. They want, you know, the freebies, the benefits. You know, staying in the hotel. They, they believe that propaganda that, uh, you know, they deserve to uh, have whatever life they want. Doesn't work that way. You got to earn it. <laughs> okay. So this is why I'm so fascinated um, by what's happening with the Democrat cities. That's why I was asking Derek about that. Democrat cities, Democrat areas where the people are rebelling. You know, mighty Whitey Island. You know, otherwise known as Martha's Vineyard. Uh, was the, the funniest example. People being flown in. Well, we don't want them. <laughs> well, you're a sanctuary island. Well, yeah, but we didn't really mean it. New York, right? sanctuary city. Yeah, but it, it was okay as long as people didn't come here. You know, New York, Los Angeles, you know, San Francisco, uh, you know, Detroit, <laughs> Chicago, all, the same, all these places, Portland, you know, all these places that declared themselves sanctuary cities never expected to have to do anything. It's like uh, when a friend says, hey, if you ever need help, give me a call. Well, I've got to move next Saturday. Can you drop it? Oh, gee, I'm sorry. I'm busy. Yeah. It's like when people, people say, you know, I, I want to help, but uh, they don't actually want to help. Or they want to help if it doesn't cost them anything. It's, it's the same kind of thing. You know, the, people want to be a sanctuary city as long as nobody takes sanctuary there. <laughs> it's really pretty funny. All right. Let me, let me get an article going here. And uh, we're going to develop this theme over days because i got about, you know, a bunch of articles and there's going to be a bunch more. So this is from the Independent Sentinel. Sentinel I'm not sure where that is. It's a, it's a new website for me. So let me bring up the screen a little bit. Let's take a look here. Uh, we've got uh, uh, undemocratic. Oh, here's the headline of the article. Undemocratic, unchecked, mass immigration will destroy the USA soon. And this is by M. Dowling. January 3rd, 2022. This is actually a year ago. Well, yeah, beginning of the year. Uh, oh, 22. So, yeah, this would have been, yeah, uh, oh, January 22. So this would have been almost two years ago. Uh, so this would have been the first year after Brandon, you know, assumed office illegally. He's uh, M, I'm not sure M, male or female, but M. Dowling says, the U.S. administration's sudden concern about other countries' identities and borders strikes one as hypocritical and insincere as these same people Foist mass immigration on the U.S. undemocratically. What well, is immigration? This is this is not immigration. This is an invasion. Okay, these people are not immigrants. They've not gone through the lawful process. You know, they're they're claiming asylum, but they're not really claiming asylum. They're they're claiming we just want to come here. Okay, that's what it is. Asylum are people that are actually persecuted, prosecuted for their beliefs. You know, much January six people in the in the D.C. Gulag. They need asylum from the United States. They need asylum because they are political prisoners. That's what the asylum is for. It's not for people who just want more money, you know, and not working for it. 
Meaning if they do work for us, same thing. You know, you, you've got to come here with a, with a lawful process. We have too many legal immigrants, but that's a whole other story. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's right. We need to get legal immigration down to about a quarter million a year from below for the, the million that it is now. Uh, or we're just going to we're going to have so many people. Uh, in fact, I was reading an article talking about there's no open space. You know, uh, you know, all the lands can be farmland or shopping malls. You know, it's just we're losing all of our of our resource that made this country, you know, great uh, in terms of space. You know, let's think about America. We got space. You can go places, you know, wide open territory. Ride your horse down the trail. You know, I'll talk to Candace about that. The pressure on, uh, you know, other, other reason riding areas. Anyway, um, but uh, that's part of the uh, the sabotage of the country. There's so many people in so many urban areas that nobody gets to have any fun anymore and gets to go out in the fresh air and uh, you know experience life. Uh, God knows what they're going to do with general aviation because the FAA has got a new rule. It's going to be easier to fly airplanes here pretty soon. That's going to be really exciting. So we got to get the we got to get the green wackos out so we can actually fly airplanes and not have them say you know it's it's your carbon footprint. Well, it's not my footprint in the sky; it's my skyprint. But that's another story. Article says Kamala Harris said she has respect for each country's identity while referencing Central America. It was a lie. But the real irony is that our country's identity is being washed away with mass immigration. She has no respect for our identity. Yeah, contrary to popular Democrat belief, there is an American culture. Okay, we have an American culture, freedom, independence, you know, and it's, it's not racism and groups. And it's not what the Democrats are trying to impose on people. But we have an American culture, you know, hot dogs, baseball, mom, apple pie. You know, Americans are generous. Uh, Americans are tolerant of uh, all kinds of folks because we have so many folks here. You know, it's a place of innovation, of creativity, uh, of ideas, of, of working hard and doing things, of uh, getting the fruits of your labors. I mean, that's our culture. You know, we don't have a hierarchy in the same way. We don't have a massive class system. We don't have a theocracy. We don't have a lot of things that the rest of the world has. But we definitely have a culture. And that culture includes people from all over the earth. It includes all religions. But the common thing that keeps us together is we're Americans. And if you don't have what keeps us together because we're Americans, then we don't have a country. Okay? So you can have you know, all the natural diversity. Uh, and still have an American culture. And see, the, the left doesn't believe that because they don't want the American culture uniting us. They just want the diversity. They want the division keeping us apart. That's the problem. Anyway, so uh, our article, M. Dowling, says we can't survive mass immigration. Small ethnic communities enrich a culture, but large ones ruin it. I agree. You know, little Mogadishu, which is becoming bigger Mogadishu in Minnesota. Perfect example. M. Dowling says whole villages are moving to the United States, completely transforming the USA. Yeah, Colony Ridge in Texas, that illegal alien uh, city, that whole thing should be shut down, seized, all the, all the houses destroyed, and all those people return to their, uh, their lawful homes out of our country. <clears throat> no nation, no continent can survive uncontrolled immigration, especially when it involves people whose language, religion, culture, and worldview differ, in some cases radically, from the countries, countries to which they are migrating. Uncontrolled illegal immigration in the United States spells an eventual death knell, which is no doubt the intent. So we agree on that. The left wants to turn America into an overpopulated, totally foreign country where foreigners displace Americans out of our culture, our language, and our way of life. The distinguished author Douglas Murray, M-U-R-R-Y, author of The Strange Death of Europe, Immigration Identity Islam, said a country that imports the world's people will also import the world's problems. It's true. You know, we're going to become Somalia in the way things are going. You know, we're going to become any, uh, we're going to become Cuba. You know, we're going to become all these, we're going to become Venezuela. You know, pick a country, uh, China. We're, we're going to become the worst of all of them if we lose our American identity, what makes us special. And one of the ways to do that is you've got to keep people out that aren't going to become Americans. It's just that simple. 
well, gee, Greg, that's cruel. They're just coming here for a better life. Okay, well, you don't have to come here for a better life. You know, we can work with those countries to have, so they can have a better life. The better life is very simple. Anybody can have a better life. Any country can have a better life by doing two things, freedom, you know, and, 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 uh, and prosperity and, and free markets, individual rights and free markets. That's what makes you rich. That's what makes a country rich. Individual rights so people can pursue their happiness and um, free markets. So the government isn't pushing everything, controlling everything, planning everything, and ruining everything. So if you have those two things, individual rights and free markets, and every country will have prosperity. Every country. And you've got to get rid of the corruption. There's no magic formula. It's, it's just that simple. If, if, a country, if a country is a republic as opposed to a democracy or a socialist country or uh, any number of other isms, fascism, Nazism, communism, um, all the isms, as long as you know those things, if you're a republic with a constitution, a bill of rights, uh, defined rights, and you have individual freedom, individual rights, and free markets, you're all set. And free markets mean the companies fail. When they fail, they fail. Okay, fine. That's why we have bankruptcy laws. Bankruptcy laws. That's how it works. Good companies succeed. Bad companies fail. That's okay. If you, if you fail, it just means you had the wrong business model. Well, try again. You know, Hershey went broke three times before they, he finally got it right, Mr. Hershey. Other people, too. Uh, the Carnegie, Mellon, um, Rockefellers, they all went broke at times. They, they all had things totally bust. Thomas Edison, I don't know how many times he went bankrupt. That's normal. <laughs> That's what being an entrepreneur is, okay? But the free market will reward, will reward you when you get it right. Now, I think we've got it right at Action Radio. We are being artificially suppressed by big tech and government. If this, country, if this company, Action Radio, the Action Radio Citizen Legislature, if we were free in a free and open market, we'd already have millions of listeners. You know, I started this long enough ago, word would have spread, and we'd be fine. The only reason we're not is because of artificial constraints on the free market so that we cannot get our word out. We can't get our message out. Anyway, back to the article. Uncontrolled illegal immigration in the United States spells an eventual, eventual death knell, which is, of course, the intent. Article says the left wants to turn America into an overpopulated. Oh, I read this, but it's, it's good to hear again. Wants to turn America into an overpopulated, totally foreign country where foreigners displace Americans out of our culture, our language, and our way of life. The distinguished offer. I read that. Okay, this is for example. Um, yeah, here we go. Let's do this last time. Country that imports the world's people also will import the world's problems. This goes to the Declaration of Human Rights, that horrible document from the UN that says everybody has a right to everything else that everybody has. So in other words, you know, folks on Madagascar have a right to your home in Kansas. Well, that's insane. So now they're coming here for it. <laughs> they took that stuff seriously, that, that total nonsense, and then the, uh, the stolen government let them do it because they're bringing it in. Because, you know, any government that's so corrupt as to steal the government is so corrupt as to bring in millions of people to destroy the country. Because what do they care? If they honored the government, they wouldn't be there. They stole the government. So anybody that can steal the government can destroy the country. What, what's, you know, what's the difference to them? The article says, for example, if we import enough warring tribes out of the Middle East, we will see our own country suffer a conflagration that we won't be able to put uh, out because it will become endemic to our entire system. If we import enough criminals, cartels, misfits that the left calls marginalized, that's who we, we will become. And I agree. We have warlords coming into our country, communists, people who will never share our values, and they come in such large numbers, they will take over whole towns and cities. Well, they already are. Colony Ridge, Texas, for example, Minnesota, Little Mogadishu, you know, that, there you go. 
He said, uh, article said, well, I don't know if he or not. He says, we can't even stop Black Lives Matter from burning our cities to the ground. If we imported enough Islamic Sunnis, Kurds, and Shiites into our country, they would start their own wars within our cities. Probably already are. Cartels are currently warring in our cities. They are increasing the dangers of rampant crime. With offers of membership and wealth, they lure in young minorities. We have people from over 160 countries pouring in unvetted, and Democrats are treating them better than Americans who, they, who get to pay the freight. Too many will become entitled moochers. Yeah, remember we're talking about the mooch class? The mooching class. The mooching class are the people that are, are here to mooch. They're, they're here for all the benefits, all the money, all the things that people earn. Well, at some point, the taxpayers are going to be, you know, why am I paying taxes? All the money is going to people that, uh, that moochers, illegal moochers, you know? Next headline. We never voted for this. It is undemocratic. Well, that's for sure. Yeah, Democrats. Uh, it's interesting that the Democrat Party cares nothing for the Democrats. Otherwise, they wouldn't be putting these, all these illegals in Democrat areas. I mean, that's kind of fascinating, actually. Article says, what is so sickening is that we never voted for this upheaval. Mass immigration and the creation of a multicultural society have all been imposed without a shred of democratic consent. Opinion polls showed that the overwhelming majority of the public wants tighter border controls. Yet this natural instinct is treated with contempt by the bullying ideologues of the pro-immigration armies. They hurl accusations of racism, nativism, and xenophobia. Oh, I got called a xenoph- xenophobic. <laughs> it's kind of a funny story. I got called a xenophobe on, on Facebook um, last night or early this morning. I'm not sure. Where, probably last night. So I, I was talking about a local political official, um, and it was, it was on Constitution Day. And they posted, yay, celebrating the Constitution. And I, I put a comment, have they read it? <laughs> you know, and uh, someone else said, well, have they read what? And I said, uh, well, they, they read the Constitution, you know, and, and then someone else, a friend of mine, posted, well, that's rather xenophobic of you. Uh, xenophobic, what, I mean, against another person from another country? That's xenophobic? I, I'm from another country. <laughs> I'm Canadian, right? So we, had another, so we had an immigrant calling another immigrant out for maybe not reading the Constitution. I just asked the question, you know, have they read the Constitution? You know, everybody talks about the Constitution on Constitution Day, but how many people have actually read it? We do. I read it all the time. It's always on the show. Oh, we got a live chat person. Let's see what's uh, what's happening there. We got to see if I got a a, a message or not. Let's do this. Uh, nope, not yet. But uh, yeah, so I got called a xenophobe uh, simply because that person's from another country, um, and not a, a, a Western European country. So let me put it that way. Um, anyway, I don't, I don't want to get too close to the article just because. Well, I don't know. We'll see. We'll see if I start call, mentioning names. Anyway, so I got called a xenophobe. And I said, no, I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not asking if this person read the Constitution because of the nation they came from. <laughs> I'm asking if they read the Constitution because they're a politician. I'm asking if they read the, the Constitution because I ask all politicians if they read the Constitution. I ask all judges. I ask uh, most of the government. <laughs> I ask all the reporters. I ask lots of people if they read the Constitution. But just because this person was from uh, another country, uh, they assumed that I was being xenophobic. That's how you lose your country, <laughs> right there. Um, you know, all these things that, uh, you know, if, if, uh, if you, all these, uh, you know, illegal here, all of a sudden to say they're illegal is just somehow xenophobic. So let's, let's, let's get that out right now. Anyway, so that's what they say. They hurl accusations of racism, nativism, and xenophobia against anyone who dares challenge them. Well, I dare challenge them, obviously. Article says, as Democrats greatly increase our welfare system, we will only become more inviting to the world's deadbeats. 
the pro-immigration ideologues, pro-immigration ideologues, tell us that our economy will be boosted and our culture enriched by this new influx. That's not true. But that is simply uh, empty propaganda. They are making us into a poorer nation. Yeah, that is true. Let me ask you this. If people, uh, if the illegal, if the greenies are worried about the carbon footprint, what's going to create more carbon footprint than 50 million illegal aliens? You know, 50 million. That's what I said, 50 million. It was like 35, something like that. But with with the influx from Brandon, it's probably closer to 50 million. But we only have 300 million, so one-sixth of our people are illegal and have to go. It's going to be interesting. But that's a problem. They affect the economy. Uh, they certainly affect the, 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 the carbon footprint. <laughs> you know? So you can't say you believe in the carbon footprint. They'll probably say, well, the, you know, they're, they're, they're still, they would have exercised the carbon footprint in other places. No, they're going to burn more organic fuel here than they would have in some of the other countries because they don't have the freedom. The cars are too expensive. They don't have the roads, and uh, they don't drive as much, which is too bad. Article says their economic arguments are false. Mass immigration imposes a phenomenal burden on the civic infrastructure. Normal immigration benefits the nation, but not mass immigration. We have overcrowded schools, overstretched hospitals, and increased welfare payments. And through the aggressive exploitation of cheap labor, uncontrolled immigration drives down wages, lowers living standards, and pushes up unemployment. Well, no, that's good. Basically, our, our standard of living drops drastically, which is what they want. It's kind of sick. Article says the pace and extent of the demographic changes in the United States are breathtaking. The population of whole cities is being imported each month under Joe Biden. The population of whole cities, let me read that again with more emphasis, the population of whole cities is being imported each month under Joe Biden. We had already changed dramatically as a nation because of the numbers of people who poured into our nation in the last few decades and because of the anchor babies now outnumbering citizens babies. Oh, I didn't know that. Anchor babies are outnumbering citizen babies? So all those anchor babies need to have their citizenship corrected to their home country the country of their parents. That, that's something I'm going to ask Christina Bob. That's going to be a big question next week. How far back you know, is Trump prepared to go? He's got to go back at least 30 years. 1990. I kind of picked that as an arbitrary year. 1990. So you want to go back to the year 1990. That's basically when computers kind of got their, their act together. right? So the computer records. You want to go back when you've got computer records. If you can go back to 1990 and correct the citizenship uh, of all the people that were born here to illegal aliens and to foreign nationals, um, and then uh, make them the, the citizenship of their parents, and then extend that down through however many generations they've had, you know, two, maybe one or two, uh, and correct that citizenship. Now, the question is, then what do you do with those folks? Do they get, uh, if, if, they, if, they're, if they're declared the citizenship of uh, the country of their parents or grandparents, right, then what kind of status do they have here? Because they wouldn't be Americans, they wouldn't be citizens. They would be um, so like without a status for a while. And then the question becomes, do they get permanent status? Do they get permanent resident status with no chance of citizenship? Or, or should they be able to apply for citizenship like everybody else and just stand in line? It's a good question. Or do they go home? That's a good question too. So the next thing you do is make their own countries you know, a lot better with freedom, uh, free markets, and individual rights. But that's, that's a political solution, as long as it doesn't cost us money. But that's a question. It's uh, Here we go. Soon the country will be mostly blue. It's not the blue under JFK. It's the blue as in authoritarian. Well, I never liked that red-blue comparison anyway. Clinton did that. Bill Clinton. The smartest thing he ever did was change the presidential reporting map during elections where all the Republicans – they used to alternate red-blue, Democrats and Republicans, each, each election. But then Clinton said, okay, from now on, 
The Democrats will always be blue and the Republicans red because they wanted symbolism to go with red. Red is socialism. Red is communism. Red is, has always been the color of the leftist. So when people say red state, yeah, we're, we're our state's going red. Would they really mean conservative? But they don't. If the state goes red, it's communist. So let's get the language cleared up. Anyway, it says the U.S. will soon become a one-party country with totalitarian Democrats ruling over us. Mandates, regulations, high taxes, burdensome rules, laws passed by agencies, no constitution or bill of rights. That's because, because they're bringing in people that don't know anything about the constitution or bill of rights. Uh, article says we can count on no rights to privacy, self-defense, free speech, rights to assembly, and reduce freedom to drive cars, eat what we want, or even own single-family homes. It's in our future. Yeah, that's what I'm fighting against. And it can't be done. Just got to do it now. Got to help out now. Now is the time to, uh, they say, take your country back. I just think, uh, you know, I don't like that expression. We're not taking anything. We're just restoring our country. Big difference. That's a good article. Uh, maybe we'll take a little break here. We've got um, Marco's back in the Netherlands. Marco, you have an article for me on uh, <clears throat> the effects of mass migration uh, in the Netherlands or Germany or Sweden or any country, England, um, or something, something from, or just mass migration in Europe in general. Uh, I'd be really interested in that. I think I want to follow this up Monday. So we shall see. So Truth Sharks is on uh, live chat. says, good advice. He's been on my program with his garbage as well. Oh, yeah, we're talking about, oh, yeah. So we have a, for those that don't know, for those that aren't uh, listening, we have a frequent visitor who's another blog talk host, uh, Wake Up New Orleans. And it's, uh, I'm not going to describe it too much, but, uh, oh, except Switzerland. Oh, that's interesting. So Marco says Switzerland does not have mass migration. See, the Swiss are smart. Swiss actually believe in preserving their own country. You know, the, the families own guns. So I think a lot of them are fully automatic. Uh, the Swiss, uh, you know, kept the Nazis from invading their country because they're all armed to the teeth. And they had mountains. <laughs> Let's be honest. You know, uh, it's a lot harder to invade a country with mountains. So the Swiss were saved with mountains and the fact that every family was armed to the teeth. Um, and that's interesting. But, the, the, but Switzerland has been pretty free for, I think, what, over 400 years. The last time they were actually engaged in a, in a, in a serious battle because... They're armed. They're ready for it. Yeah. Anyway, so we'll, but, uh, we'll talk about that. So anyway, so we got a person, a fellow Black Talk host, uh, that talks about nothing but uh, basically black supremacy and uh, other stuff like that. And so I'm uh, here today, <laughs> which is good. But uh, we get little wars on live chat. And my apologies to everybody. Uh, I had such an intense show yesterday. I could not engage in the live chat debate. But it looked like you all were doing pretty well. So we'll think about that. All right. So mass migration. So I'm going to get you... Uh, I might take a little break here and pull another one of these articles up. Let me see what I can play for you here. It's now 8.37. That sounds good. Whenever I talk, my voice goes. It's the end of the week, too. So let me get you something here, and let me just play a couple more things I have to play, and I'll be right back. Well, that sounds good. Even better. Okay. How about your car? If you want the best service for your vehicle, please talk to James at Florida Stores Automotive, conveniently located at 6715 Caroline Street in the historic district of Milton, Florida, right between the Milton Bakery and the Blackwater Trail. Whether you need an oil change or an entire engine replaced, this is the place. The phone number is 850-623-6651. That's 850-623-6651. Call, ask questions, and get the information you need. 
Florida Stores Automotive is a full-service automotive shop for both domestic and imports, modern and classic. It is a family-owned business here in our Milton community. Open weekdays from 7.30 to 5 p.m., Florida Stores Automotive is a convenient place to keep your car maintained and on the road. Ask them about Firestone Tires and the rotation and maintenance plan. Florida Stores Automotive. I go there. You should, too. Yeah, it looks like the uh, F-35 is in the news again, the, the plane we lost. <laughs> you know, well, we didn't lose it. The Air Force, the Marines lost it. So the Marines lost it somewhere in South Carolina. And I, I post that on my um, uh, Facebook page. And they had the hatch open, the one they use for vertical takeoff. So it's an air intake. And I said, see, this is why I crashed. They left the door open. <laughs> That's just me. I was having too much fun. All right, back in just uh, a little bit here. This is our sponsor um, promo. Here at Action Radio, we are looking for sponsors. We have 30 and 60 second spots available for your announcements. And we have three minute live call-ins to talk about your products and services available. Action Radio is the next evolution beyond talk radio. Join us and let us help your business evolve. Think about being a sponsor of the future and not just a listener and help us help your business grow as you help us plunge headlong into breaking new ground here on Action Radio every day. This is Greg Penglis for Strikeforce, your source for pure energy. Strikeforce is a concentrated energy drink that turns a half liter of your favorite beverage into an energy drink. You make your energy drink yourself. Action Radio is an affiliate of Strikeforce, so our listeners get a 20% discount. All you do is add our code, WYL, to the discount code window at checkout. W-Y-L comes from our website, Write Your Laws. So, you can get your energy drink, a 20% discount, and help Action Radio change the relationship of we the people to our government. Not bad. Strikeforce is at StrikeforceEnergy.com. That's StrikeforceEnergy.com. Start your engine. Action Radio, part of the ADHD Radio Network, the ultimate free speech zone. We the people give our consent to be governed through writing the laws by which we are governed and have the power through juries to nullify the laws by which we do not consent to be governed. At Action Radio, we don't report the news. We are the news. Every other show reports what has happened. We talk about what can happen. From the questions no one has thought to ask, to the answers no one has thought to consider, to the actions no one has dared to take. That is Action Radio. So there's a chance uh, Candace might not be here. I hope she is, though, because it's been a few months since she was on the show. But uh, lots going on. Well, she's got a whole lot going on. She's got a horse ranch to manage and a bunch of other things. So it's uh, it's kind of crazy. And, uh, you know, I always make allowances. I mean, people uh, sometimes disappear for months, take care of stuff, and then they come back. So we'll see what's going on. So the things I have for my notes, uh, the big one is, is the mass migration which we've been talking about. Also, the UAW strike. 
And I want to talk to uh, Derek Park more about that, our financial dude, because I, one of the problems is cars are boring. You know, uh, Marco, you know, said our cars is boring in the Netherlands. They look the same. You know, the, 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 we had two classic eras of cars, the 30s and the 40s, you know, which they had the, the big ones, the Packards, the Duesenbergs, the old Caddies, the old Cadillacs, things like, oh, gorgeous cars. They had the big headlights in the front, the running boards. You sit way in the back. It was great. Um, famous case, Isadora Duncan, dancer, used to drive with long scarves, scarves trailing back behind her until one got caught in the wheel and strangled her. She died. Um, but uh, that's don't wear long scarves when you drive those little cars. Anyway, um, but uh, they had beautiful little cars. Of course, the, the next grand era, the 40s were kind of okay, but they were war years, you know, so cars were all right. Um, but uh, then the 50s hit. 57 Chevy, 55 T-Bird, you know, 50s, car, 50s Corvette, beautiful cars. But I'm more of a 60s fan, so the 60s and early 70s, but probably like 72. The prettiest car, I think, ever for the Corvettes was the, the 61 and then the 72. And after that, the Corvettes became very metrosexual, kind of rounded. They looked horrible, you know, so they're, they're boring. And now they look like Ferraris. They don't even look like Corvettes anymore. So uh, uh, I think a big part of the, the reason people aren't buying as many cars is they're boring. You know, I mean, when people go to car shows, what, what cars are they looking at? 50s, 60s, and 70s for the most part, right? And even then, I would say 50s and 60s. Those are the cool cars. So bring back cool cars. You know, the auto makers will have more jobs than, uh, oh, we can't do that. They're not green. Yeah, you can. There's so many regulations on cars for aerodynamics and fuel efficiency and weight requirements and, you know, additional safety features and airbags and computer technology. There's a bunch of nonsense. Let's get back to real cars. There's nothing wrong with burning organic fuel. Organic fuel is part of the carbon cycle. Put it in the air. and That's what keeps us all alive, folks. So when you're burning organic fuel, in other words, gasoline, diesel, <laughs> when you're burning organic fuel, um, and what comes out the tailpipe is, well, you know, the, the same stuff that went in, only changed form, all right? So you have a hydrocarbon, hydrogen and carbon, which is, you know, oil, <laughs> you know, turned into gasoline and diesel, goes into your engine, mixed with oxygen by a fuel injector or a carburetor, you know, and then you have hydrogen, carbon, and oxygen, you know, and then when you ignite that mixture, it burns because the oxygen burns and breaks the bonds of the other elements. And then it cools out the tailpipe and comes out as... Uh, H2O and CO2. Well, that's water and carbon dioxide. Well, carbon dioxide is the same carbon that was being that was released when you burned the the, the organic fuel. So the carbon in in the plants and, and the animals, mostly the plants, mostly algae, algae, organics, mud, you know, all that plant material comes together, uh, goes into the earth, gets compressed and heated for millions of years, becomes oil, refined into gasoline. We burn it, goes coming to the sky and comes back down into the plants, and then plants go into the earth again. That's the carbon cycle, right? So you, 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 you are releasing the carbon that was in the oil under the earth for millions of years. You release that carbon by burning fuel and getting carbon dioxide. It goes up into the air, and then it comes down again so the new plants can breathe it. So the new plants are breathing carbon that was in old plants millions of years ago. That's the carbon cycle. It's a good thing. Anyway, cars are boring. <laughs> and that's one of the big problems. Cars are boring. Because they're boring, I don't, I don't know if people are buying them as much or driving them as much because they're boring. You know, if you have the chance to drive a Jaguar XKE convertible or a modern roundish kind of sedan something or other, you know, what are you going to drive? You're going to drive the XKE. Why? Because it's fun. You're going to drive it further. You're going to you know, burn more gasoline, and who cares? You're just contributing to the carbon cycle. Oh, wouldn't that be fun? We should have a, a carbon education program. Actually, I'm trying to get Gregory Wrightstone back on the program. All right, so back to our, our topic du jour. This is from the Center for Immigration Studies. Uh, very good uh, group. I'm trying to get Mark Krikorian 
I've been trying to get him on the air for a long time. So this is, here's, here's one from August 21st, 2023. So this one's pretty recent. Stephen A. Camarota and Karen Ziegler. It says, working age, but not working. A look at the decades-long decline in labor force participation among the U.S. born and its implications for immigration policy. So I talked a little bit about this with Derek, and I asked, you know, what, what is the effect of all these illegal aliens on employment? Because they shouldn't be working, first of all. But secondly, worker participation rate, because we don't have Americans working at the same rate as they used to. That's interesting. Huh. Anyway, it says uh, Stephen Camarota is the director of research and Karen Ziegler is the demographer. So uh, we got a people person and a director. They said the labor force participation rate, the share working or looking for work, this is the share of people. In other words, what percentage of the population is either working or looking for work? So if you're not looking for work, you're not counted uh, uh, as, employed, as, as unemployed. So an unemployed person is someone who's looking for work. So if you're not looking for work, you're not unemployed. I don't know what you are, lazy, but you're not unemployed. Because you're trying to be employed. It says the share of working people or looking for work of U.S.-born men, there's an article about men, has declined dramatically since the 1960s, particularly for those without a bachelor's degree. Yeah, there's a lot of people who just aren't working. Isn't that special? It says while participation has roughly returned to pre-pandemic levels, that would be COVID, the rate in 2019 was extremely low by historical standards. This is relevant to the immigration debate because one of the arguments for allowing in so many legal immigrants or even tolerating illegal aliens is that the low is the low unemployment rate, along with the aging of the U.S. population means that there are not enough workers. Sure there are. But this ignores the enormous increase in the number of working age people not in the the labor force who do not show up uh, as unemployed because they are not actively looking for work. Further, being out of the labor force is associated with a host of profound social problems, from crime and social isolation to overdose deaths and welfare dependency. Policymakers should consider encouraging work among the millions on the economic sidelines rather than ignoring the problem and continuing to allow in large, num- allow in large numbers of immigrants. No kidding. Says excelled sheets with detailed labor force participation statistics can be found here. Says traditional labor force participation, the share of working or at least looking for work of men is higher than it is for women. Well, that makes sense. While still true, the share of U.S. born working age men in the labor force has declined for six decades. 60 years, folks. Participation of U.S. born women peaked in 2000, but has declined some since, particularly for those without a bachelor's. It says, the next one, using a broad definition of working age, that would be 16 to 64, uh, the share of U.S.-born men in the labor force was 77.5% in April 2023, nearing nearly the same as in 2019, pre-COVID. Hmm, that's interesting. But this is significantly lower than the 83.1% in April 2000 and 88.7% in 1960. So 87, 88.7% 1960, 77%. So it's 10%, it's 11% less, fewer, 11% fewer workers in the workforce. That's a lot. Anyway, it says, well, the participation for U.S.-born black men has been lower than the U.S.-born white and Hispanic men for decades. Great for all three groups has fallen significantly since the 1960s. If the same share of U.S.-born men, 16 to 64, were in the labor force in 2023, as in 1960, there would be 9.5 million more U.S.-born men in the labor force. 
even if the share returned to the 2000 level, it would be still at 0.8 million men to the force. And anyway, we got a bunch of statistics here. So let's, let's get to uh, some of the uh, uh, some of this article. It's actually, this one's, eh, this one's fairly long. Lots of charts and graphs. I'm not going to go over all of them, um, just for a little bit. So the purpose of this analysis is to address the often asked question of where workers could come from to fill in jobs of the economy, if not for large-scale immigration. In a series of reports based on quarterly data from the monthly current population survey, the CBS, uh, the Center for Immigration Studies has tried to answer that question by looking at the labor market situation for the U.S. born for U.S. born and immigrants. Those reports show reports show a profound decline in the share of working-age U.S.-born Americans in the labor force since 2000, and as a result, an enormous number of working-age people on the economic sidelines. Those in the labor force are working full and part-time or looking for work. Those outside the labor force are not looking, are not working, and are not counted as unemployed because they are not actively looking for a job. In contrast to our prior reports, the analysis used. You know, all right. So let me just put that. Let's just leave right here. So anyway, the problem is our workers are. You know, we've got a declining workforce, so these people are going to cost money. We've got illegal aliens coming in; they're going to cost money. The point of all this is going to cost money, huge amounts. All right, got about ten minutes left here. So So yeah, I read that one. I like that article. Huh. Here's one, Washington. Uh, Washington Times? I think so. Let's see. We've got Washington Times. Yeah, there we go. Illegal immigration is destroying our country. Well, seen that before. This is from Cal Thomas, October 13, 2021. So again, a while ago. Britain's home office, more than 12,500 migrants have broken the law to get into the UK so far this year. Compare this to the nearly 200,000 migrants who have crossed the virtually non-existent southern border just since July of this year. The count is estimated by the overwhelmed U.S. Customs and Border Protection. That name is almost <laughs> contradictory given the Biden administration's refusal to enforce the law and secure the border. Well, we never say Biden administration. I just do out of convenience now. It helps that Britain has a natural channel separating it from the continent while other borders, <laughs> while other border resembles, while our border remembers, resembles Swiss cheese. Let's see if I can find some meat in this article here. Here we go. Center for Immigration Studies. Here we go. We had that in the last article. Makes a point I have not seen elsewhere. It contends that several countries, supposed allies of the U.S., are complicit in enhancing of the migrant flow. The United States has never seen fit to publicly acknowledge that Colombia, Panama, and Costa Rica are doing this to the American people. The American public hardly knows it. Nor has the United States sought to diplomatically leverage any governments to instead disrupt, slow, outright halt the flows of people long before they reach Mexico. The strange tolerance of American public ignorance, even during the Trump administration, endures, even though all three of these nations are ideally positioned as trail route bottlenecks where new U.S. strategies can significantly attenuate the problem if all involved simply acknowledge that it is happening and there's a political will to press to revolution. You know, that's true. Here's what one federal law says about immigration. This is 8 U.S. Code 1325. I'm going to write that down. So 8 U.S.C. 1325, any alien who, one, enters or attempts to enter the United States at any time or place other than as as designated by immigration officers, or two, eludes examination or inspection by immigration officers, or three, attempts to enter or obtain entry into the United States by a willfully false or misleading representation or the willful concealment of a material fact shall, for the first commission of any such offense, be fined under Title 18. Title 18 is my favorite with uh, 241 and 242. 
or in prison that month, six months or both. Yeah, yeah. All right, this is kind of droning on. I'm getting bored. <laughs> He's just okay, fine. We know it's a problem. I think I'll pick it up. Uh, I'll pick up something different next week. Maybe we'll talk about F35 problems. Let me put some here. I haven't done this for a while, and so we'll, uh, check on uh, Cowgirl Candace. See if she's going to be joining us next week. But it's been a long week, so I'm not anxious to you know do uh, do a bunch of stuff. Let me get you one of my so, uh, my uh, SRV, my Santa Rosa Volunteers pieces. They're kind of short. Yeah, so just church and state. Intro. I like the grievances one. Let's talk about let's look at the grievances one again. So Santa Rosa Volunteers used to be a sponsor of the show. Um, and hopefully they'll come back. But uh, I made these things when they were sponsors, and that's why I mentioned them and gave them all the promos. But okay, it won't hurt. Uh, it says we don't see a lot of Marco says we don't see a lot of American cars in Europe. I remember that uh, his parents had a Datsun Cherry. Well, it's not an American car. It was really a popular car in the 70s, 80s. Yeah, Datsuns were popular. I think the, what was a Datsun? 280? Was Datsun 280? There was a Datsun everybody drove. B210. There is a Datsun B210. Everybody had one. All right, let me play something for about five minutes, and we'll check on the Calgary Candace and see if she's going to come join us. Otherwise, I might, I don't know. I'll figure out what to do. Like I say, so I was hoping to have uh, guests in both of these hours, but it uh, didn't quite work out. So, you know. This is Greg Penkless for Action Radio with Founding Moments, insights into our founding documents, sponsored by Santa Rosa Volunteers here in Santa Rosa County, Florida. Santa Rosa Volunteers is available at their website, srv1776.com. That's srv1776.com. With July 4th coming up Sunday, I have to say something about the Declaration of Independence. Everyone knows the beginning words of the Declaration. We even have a founding moments on it. But the bulk of the declaration consists of 27 grievances, some of which are just as applicable as a grievance today against our own federal government as they were against England when we were colonies. How could this happen? We have a constitution. But constitutions are only as valid as the oath people swear when they promise to support and defend the constitution against all enemies, foreign and domestic. Let me highlight just a few of the grievances that are every bit as valid today as they were in 1776 and for exactly the same reasons. When the Declaration says, he, that's King George III. He, today, would be the entire federal government. He has refused his assent to laws, the most wholesome and necessary for the public good. Laws today are for special interests and more government power. He has erected a multitude of new offices and sent hither swarms of officers to harass our people and eat out their substance. The greatest danger we face is an out-of-control federal bureaucracy of endless officers, agencies, and departments. He has affected to render the military independent of and superior to the civil power. This is done today because Congress has delegated almost all their power to declare war to the president, something they have no power to do. He has combined with others to subject us to a jurisdiction foreign to our Constitution and unacknowledged by our laws, giving his assent to their acts of pretended legislation. Today, that would be international law, international courts, treaties or agreements not ratified by the Senate, climate accords, the United Nations, and all their various agencies. For imposing taxes on us without our consent, 
Did you know that the income tax and the withholding of money from your paycheck used to be unconstitutional? All kinds of taxes, fees, and burdens are placed on us, many of which are hidden. For depriving us in many cases of the benefits of trial by jury, we have plea bargains, uninformed jurors, corruption, money, prosecutorial misconduct, administrative trials and judges, and a multitude of judicial actions that do not involve a jury of our peers. Juries are never of our peers, either. For taking away our charters, abolishing our most valuable laws, and altering fundamentally the forms of our governments. Today, that would be abandoning the Constitution and governing by whatever the leftist deep state wants. For suspending our own legislatures and declaring themselves invested with power to legislate for us in all cases whatsoever. This would be all the governors, mayors, public health officials, and Dr. Fauci himself taking over our government during a bogus pandemic of their making, stealing our rights, imposing illegal lockdowns and mask mandates not based on any science, and simply declaring whatever orders they wanted with no legislature or due process at all. It's still going on. He has plundered our seas, ravaged our coasts, burnt our towns, and destroyed the lives of our people. This could happen if the government takes our guns, which is why I say, except for the military, we need to take their guns. He has excited domestic insurrections amongst us and has endeavored to bring on the inhabitants of our frontiers, the merciless Indian savages, whose known rule of warfare is an undistinguished destruction of all ages, sexes, and conditions. Today, you can see how Black Lives Matter, Antifa, the FBI, and other rioting mercenaries of the deep state are being used to enforce Marxist theories like critical race theory and climate change, not to mention the false pandemic of COVID, which are all designed to create fear, depression, hopelessness, compliance, conformity, groupthink, and political correctness, all for the state. So just substitute Indians for all the groups in and out of government that are being used by government against us, and this problem is exactly the same. So the question is, what are your grievances, and what are you going to do about it? I created Action Radio so that we the people could write the laws we consent to be governed by and reverse the process where they, the government, order us to comply with their laws, orders, and decisions. This is Greg Penglis for Action Radio with Founding Moments, sponsored by Santa Rosa Volunteers. Their website is srv1776.com. That's srv1776.com. Please share this report to anyone who needs it. Cool. Let's get back to uh, news theme here. Yeah, sounds like I need a weekend to recover and recoup. Uh, like I say, I got kind of wiped out from yesterday's show. Uh, and it's, it's well, gee, how, how, how'd that happen, Greg? Well, it's pretty emotional. <laughs> Listen to it. Uh, and again, it was a very busy week. A lot of a lot of crazy stuff happened. So let's. Uh, I've had enough of news. 
So what I want to do is wax uh, uh, poetic and philosophical here for a little bit. Like I say, I don't know. I haven't got word from from Candace. Hopefully she'll be joining us. If not this week, next week, one of these weeks, you know, and we'll, uh, you know, let's see if word comes in. I'll let you know when I know. But in the meantime, I found this thing. Uh, Intellectual Takeout is one of my uh, one of my favorite sites uh, for um, intellectual discussions, buying things, you know, stuff that's going on. And there's an article I found called The Importance of Making Mistakes. And I've never had a problem making mistakes. It doesn't bother me. I don't, they're not failures. I don't, you know, I mean, I make mistakes on action radio every day. Uh, this is a trial and error process. We are pioneers. We are doing things that have never been done. So, so making mistakes isn't the problem. Uh, the fear of making mistakes is the problem because everybody makes mistakes. You can't do anything without making mistakes. But the question is, you know, are there mistakes that can't be fixed? Uh, and are you so worried about, uh, you know, about your fear of making mistakes that you don't do anything? So doing, doing nothing is worse than making mistakes. Everybody makes mistakes. Every, uh, in fact, there was a, a famous uh, Japanese car manual director from one of the companies that said, we want to see a good amount of mistakes on this. You know, make sure you, you try everything. That way you'll know what works and what doesn't work. So, so really good companies, you know, they want mistakes, but they want them in the design phase. They want uh, the mistakes all out before the product gets on the market rather than cover up your mistakes and then just push something out there that's not good and then they have recalls and everything else. They don't want that. But if you make your mistakes early, in the design phase, you know, when things are being experimented and played with, that's not a problem. In fact, a good company will tell you, try things, make sure everything works, you know, go, go to the extremes and uh, worst case scenarios, plan it out, see what happens. And then you'll know. Anyway, this is um, from in cultures and future philosophy, September 20th of 2023. So this was two days ago. <laughs> this one's new uh, and it is by Francisco Juniga, J-U-N, excuse me. Zuniga, Z-Y-Z-U-N-I-G-A, Zuniga. There we go. He says, a couple of years ago, I received a post-semester email from a student's father. He was upset about the ch- his child's final grade in my class, which he had landed somewhere between a high B and a low A. The grade was clearly not very low, but the student's father wanted me to reconsider. Apparently, a specific assignment, less than perfect score, had kept his son from making the honor roll. I explained to him the propriety of the assignment's low mark, but uh, he was not convinced. In the end, I did not change the grade. The student's father was furious. The situation is symptomatic of something more serious than the mere annoyance of a difficult parent-teacher exchange. In fact, it points to a cultural intolerance of imperfection. There is no room for mistakes, either on a personal level or a societal one. My student was not allowed a moment of weakness. It was not possible that he had performed less than perfectly. It would be unrealistic to cite just one cause of our culture's intolerance of error. Like most events in history, many factors have played a part. Nevertheless, it might be useful to consider how one major modern philosophical theory has contributed to our cultural aversion to mistakes. Yeah, my website going again here. There it is. In Meditations uh, on First Philosophy, Rene Descartes, Oh, I have to read Descartes now. Okay. I'm not big on reading. I have a problem reading. I have too much ADHD. Rene Descartes developed an anthropological theory known as Cartesian dualism. Isn't that maps? Isn't Descartes uh, like French for map? Anyway, so if you're, oh, cartographer, that's something else. So cartographers are map makers. All right, anyway, Cartesian is something else. And it's not a well. That's an artesian well. We're talking about the Cartesian here. So it's called Cartesian dualism. This theory states that the human mind and body are made of two separate substances, mind and matter. 
Thus, man's nature is that, I guess talking about, is that where mind over matter came from? <laughs> it probably did. All right. Anyway, thus man's nature is divided into two separate but unequal parts. The mind is the dominant substance. And according to Descartes, of the two substances, the mind is the one that exists beyond any doubt. Its reality is proven by the very act of thinking. The existence of matter, including our bodies, is proven indirectly through the senses by the mind. It is mind over matter. I was right. <laughs> In other words, uh, I know my mind is real because I am thinking with it, but my body's existence is merely possible as the most likely cause of my mind's sensory perceptions. That's kind of weird. He says, but how has Cartesian dualism contributed to our current intolerance of imperfection? Ever since Cartesian dualism was first proposed, philosophers have debated its plausibility. Oh, but we're getting big words today, I can tell, right? It's as though some have insisted that everything in and around us is simply matter. The workings of the mind are all chemical and neurological in nature. Belief in the ultimate power of the mind over matter persists. This cultural belief is clear in that the current push for transgenderism, the idea that man might actually be, uh, that a man might actually be a woman or vice versa, is accepted solely on the grounds of an individual self-perception. A man claims to identify as a woman. It is allegedly mind over matter, but the implication goes further. If a man can think himself into womanhood, then the mind has the power to dictate reality. And if the mind can dictate reality, then the mind cannot be wrong. Whatever a mind conceives is true, uh, is true for that mind. This, I believe, is an inevitable consequence of the mind-body dualism proposed by Descartes. It's interesting. I wrote a, an article for Substack, uh, gregpenglis.substack.com. The government never wrong. They're never wrong. Even if they are, they don't admit it. But uh, the government's never wrong. And so that's, uh, I'll, I'll leave that to you to sort of you know, discern, because obviously they are, they are wrong, horribly wrong all the time. But as far as they're concerned, they're never wrong. So it's quite a fascinating article. I'll let you uh, delve into that. Well, let's get back to this one. It says, it's not difficult then to understand the current climate of intolerance of imperfection. After all, mistakes are impossible for a mind that can make subjective claims about reality and label them objective. Though the student who performs less than ideally at school should face the choices he made, it's easier to believe that a teacher, school system, or society misunderstands the way the student's mind works. His belief supersedes the evidence of the grades. It allows him to be free from error. The irony is that the student is not free. Neither is a society uh, that demands perfection from its members. A culture that does not allow itself to admit being wrong, even about major moral issues, is a culture populated by prisoners of ideologies, concepts, and theories. Making mistakes is necessary for wisdom and growth. A community that wants to flourish must pay attention to its mistakes. It must raise questions about the limits of the mind's power to over, over matter. A healthy society accepts that it has committed errors, contemplates how they came about, and actually humbly, uh, and acts humbly according to the facts. So I'll leave you with that. Actually, um, yeah, I don't think uh, Candace is going to be able to join us today. I don't want to read articles the whole rest of the hour. Let me see if I can find you something here from our, our list of many interviews that might just be fabulous. Do, 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 do. Well, looks like I haven't heard from him for a while. Yeah, I'm going to play that one. Yeah, that takes most of the hour. Uh, like I say, if we have folks joining us, Pianchi were there. If somebody, we had callers, you know, we have live action was going like crazy. I could respond to that, but uh, not a whole lot happening. So I guess you're all ready for the weekend. Time to get barbecue. Uh, don't forget that your, your gas grill might go the way of the gas stove. <laughs> 
They might be going after those next. So Robert Shipley, fire. Uh, so we're, we're in an independent streak here. So let's get that. I think that's the Federation for Independent. Uh, uh, what is fire? Fire, independent, something with education. Anyway, I'm going to play it anyway. <laughs> I don't remember what was said on this one, so that should be kind of fun. So we got an, we got a, an interview from March 26th of 2017, part of my continuing series uh, of WBY interviews that I occasionally drag out here as I'm going through the whole set. I don't have an extra one. I don't have a new one for you. But I got this one. This one should be pretty cool. All right. So uh, it's 10 after 9 here, 9, 10 Central Time. Um, so let's take about 45 minutes. This will take us pretty much to the top of the hour. Uh, if someone calls in, you know, or things get busy, I'll just cancel the interview and we'll come back. But in the meantime, kick back, enjoy. Um, I'll be back at the end of the hour and uh, wish you a happy weekend. But uh, a lot is going on next week. So many new people starting, many things happening. But this is kind of like a lazy hour. So I will be back at the hour. Oh, one more thing, too. Any reference to a WEBY or phone numbers other than 215-383-3832 are from the recording from a different radio station, but since I made these shows, I get to play them. Yeah, baby. <laughs> there we go. 8 of 6 in the morning, time for Action Radio with Greg Penglis here at 1330 WEBY, Northwest Florida's talk radio. And we have a guest, and he may only be here for half an hour, so I don't want to uh, waste any time at all. Let's introduce him. He has faced bias and censorship while being a managing editor of a college newspaper. He is a graduate of Duke University School of Law. His career has been defending the rights of college and university students and faculty members. And he started the Foundation for Individual Rights in Education in 2003. Please welcome Mr. Robert Shibley. Got to get our applause in there, too. Hello, Robert. How are you? Hi, great. Thanks for having me. I love that intro. Well, yeah. Well, this is my show. I can do what I want. I love to do these things. <laughs> but uh, first of all, I know you may only may have half an hour, but you're perfectly welcome to stay for the whole hour because I've got about three hours of questions. Well, sure. I'm happy to. I, I think I can do the whole hour. So oh, that'd be great. On. Yeah. So first of all, tell us about the, the foundation for, um, let me get my, my title right here. Uh, oh, yeah. Foundation for Individual Rights in Education, FIRE. Uh, how is this? What, what do you guys do? Yeah, sure. Well, we were founded in 1999 uh, to defend free speech, uh, other First Amendment rights like freedom of religion, uh, freedom of association and expression, as well as due process um, and fair procedures on college and university campuses. And uh, we were founded sort of in the wake of the, the 1990s political correctness uh, movement uh, when people on campus started really to be punished for saying or, or sometimes even thinking things uh, that were, you know, outside the, the campus mainstream or outside the sort of approved uh, beliefs of campus. And uh, we've been going ever since. What kind of punishments were students getting? Well, they were getting and are getting, um, you know, it, it can be as severe as expulsion, but generally, uh, you know, what you might see is uh, somebody uh, will say something that's deemed to be uh, sexist or racist or some form of harassment, um, and, you know, punishments can range from sort of a letter of discipline uh, to suspension uh, for a semester or two, which is pretty common, uh, to expulsion from the university. Wow. How come a term like white privilege isn't considered offensive or racist? Well, you know, what's considered offensive or racist, um, you know, a big part of the problem of, you know, having a, a, a system where you can be punished for saying things that are offensive or racist is what's offensive or racist or anything else like that is purely in the eye of the beholder. And there's really no way around that. So, yeah. 
you know, whereas, you know, maybe in, you know, the, the 1950s or, or the 1850s, white privilege would have been considered offensive or racist. Uh, today, it, it's not, and it, it's uh, at least by the folks who are making the rules on most campuses. Um, and so it's a, uh, you know, it, it's just a matter of taste. And that's, that's a big part of the problem, which is that, you know, if you don't share the taste, if you don't share the opinions of the people who are in charge on campuses, uh, you can be taking a big risk uh, if you speak your mind. And so that really sort of gets to the, the fundamentals of the problem. The answer is because the people in charge don't feel like it. And that answer changes depending on who's in charge. Which makes free speech totally arbitrary. And I'm a big free speech advocate. I, I have experience with this uh, in college myself. And this is back, I graduated in 81 uh, from the University of Massachusetts. And I remember I was in a debate class and I took a view opposing uh, what the, the, the professor liked. And I just looked at him and I said, you're going to downgrade me for my position, aren't you? He says, yes, I am. I said, you can't do that. He says, yes, I can. I'm thinking to myself, what's the point? You know, and this is back in the 80s this was going on. Yeah, well, I mean, it, it's always, I mean, it's always been a, um, you know, a, a temptation uh, for people. And I mean, this, you know, this goes all the way back to, you know, our earliest historical documents. I mean, people who uh, say unpopular things to the people in power are always uh, taking a risk. And one of the real innovations about uh, the Enlightenment and, and sort of the philosophy from which America sprang, and of course the one that's written into our founding documents, is this idea of limiting the government, limiting the authorities uh, from actually doing that. And, uh, you know, obviously, you know, in my opinion, and I think in, in the opinion of most Americans, that's been a, a really successful experiment. Uh, you know, we have a great deal of freedom. We've made a great deal of progress. Uh, because of it, because we've told the authorities uh, in most cases, you know what, this is not your business, uh, what I can say, what I can think, what I can write or publish. Um, and so that's been successful. But, you know, it's very natural for people not to want to hear things and, and to want to, you know, punish people who are expressing opinions they find offensive or they'd rather not hear that make them uncomfortable. And so it, it, it's, a, it's an impulse we always have to fight against. And unfortunately, you know, professors and, and administrators on college campuses, um, you know, just like the the actual government, um, you know, people we think of as government officials, although I want to point out that at state universities, uh, you know, administrators particularly are definitely uh, state, state officials. Yeah. Um, you know, they, they give into that temptation, too, when they're not, you know, disciplined not to. It's, it's fascinating what's going on. I want to get into, because uh, you're a lawyer, and so I want to, I want to tax your lawyerly brain on the uh -oh. First Amendment. Oh, don't worry. No, it's just, it's, it's going to be fun. I mean, this, is, this isn't gotcha radio. This is, you know, you're among friends here. But even so, I still want to, you know, maximize what I can, uh, what, what I can, I can delve into. Um, again, so free speech, definitely a, a big thing. I consider free speech, this is my personal opinion. Uh, first of all, if it's not offending somebody, it's, it's not even worth it. And so I, I, with all rights, I consider rights to be absolute within the context of the right. So the first, first Amendment free speech, you know, within the context of free speech, I include free speech to be ideas, opinions, evidence, and arguments. But if you're just, you know, talking, you're not saying anything, or like the panhandling ordinance, if you're just asking for money, that's not speech, that's commerce. And so within the context of free speech, you know, you have the absolute right to, to, have, to not be infringed by the government. But if you're not engaged in ideas, opinions, you know, evidence, arguments, things like that, you're not really engaged in speech. So how would you define uh, free speech if you could? 
Well, I mean, the you know that's actually sort of the the nuts and bolts of um, you know how when you have a free speech case, when you have a case that goes to the Supreme Court, uh, that's you were talking about one of the kinds of determinations they make, and it, it's one of the questions. Um, you know, if you're if you are setting up a criminal conspiracy, that might all be speech. You know, if you're if you're making plans how to how you're going to rob a bank. Uh, you know that is all obviously no, that's commerce. But, it's, <laughs> but it's, uh, it's in that case, it's, it's also a criminal conspiracy. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I mean, basically, there are the way we look at it in this country, and that's one of the I think the great things about this country. But it's also one of the things that makes us uh, unique um, in the world is that uh, we, we generally start from the assumption that your speech or expression is protected unless it falls into one of the exceptions, and those exceptions are things you're talking about. Commercial speech is actually, commercial speech itself is actually sort of a, it's the one sort of pseudo exception. Um, it, it, you know, they are obviously you can have truth in advertising laws um, that say, you know, you can't advertise that, you know, the ingredients in your, in your, uh, you know, food, you can't say it, you know, contains beef when it really contains, you know, uh, I don't know, a dog or yeah. something like that. So that's not, that's not a, that's not an infringement, considered an infringement on free speech. But the ones we usually think of are for, um, uh, uh, criminal conspiracies or, or speech like that, um, actual uh, true harassment or threats. So that's when you are um, engaging in a course of conduct that involves speech um, that is either, you know, somebody would actually be threatened with physical or bodily harm or, yeah. you know, it rises to the level of harassment where, you know, it really is interfering with somebody's life. Um, but that's to me, that's not speech to me because that's not an idea, an expression, an independent opinion, argument, or evidence supporting your argument. So well, that that's, to me wouldn't be speech. Exactly, and that's part of what they, and that's that's generally one of the the considerations that they make is, you know, is this kind of speech more like pure expression or is it more like an action, right? Okay. And so and that's. And, 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 you know, frankly, it is a judgment call in many cases, and obviously there's a lot of reasonable people who disagree, you know, exactly where the line should be drawn. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, that is, that is a big part of it is, is, this, um, is this really more like conduct or is it more like speech? Um, you know, and in the cases, let's say you have a protest and you're carrying a sign, right. um, that's considered to be more like speech than like conduct, even though obviously there's some conduct involved. But, uh, you know, when it comes to something like harassment or when it comes to, uh, you know, lying about what's in this drink or whatever like that, right. that's, that's, more like, that's considered to be more like conduct. Yeah. Because we have some more time, I'm going to get into Berkeley uh, and what's going on there and the restrictions on, on speakers in just a little bit. But I want, to, I want to kind of hit the First Amendment because I've never gotten, other than my own definition, uh, a really good definition for uh, some of the things in the First Amendment. And I know I deal with religious issues, but what does it mean exactly when it says that Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion? Well, that is a, that's actually a very contentious issue, and it's actually one... Um, Fire doesn't really handle um, cases that have to do with establishment because it hasn't uh, really been an issue. It isn't one of our core issues. But mm-hmm. generally the difference between establishment and free exercise, establishment is clearly when the government is actually you know, making an official religion. Um, Thank that, you. That, that's establishment. <laughs> so I, I don't think anybody would disagree with that. The question is, you know, around the borders of that, what? Um, and this is what we sort of argue about with the Pledge of Allegiance, having the words under God in it, or the Ten Commandments hmm. um, on courthouse lawns. To what extent does that actually constitute sort of official endorsement of a religion, which the the government, you know, is, is which is frowned upon, but not you know completely 
um, impossible, obviously, the Ten Commandments, you are allowed to put them um, on, on courthouse lawns. Yeah. So, um, you know, that, that's, that's one of the thornier issues. And frankly, I mean, the, the real answer to your question there is, is kind of it's, it's what the Supreme Court thinks it is. Which is why I don't believe the Supreme Court should have their judicial review power, which I want to revoke. And I'll talk to you about that someday. But uh, <laughs> on campuses, how does, how does free expression of religion, uh, do you have any cases that, that you're working on with those, with that issue? Uh, we don't have any current cases um, on that, but historically we have had a number of cases okay. um, that deal with um, religious freedom on campus. One, one of the most active areas that we've seen um, over the years of fire is uh, the idea that religious groups um, are are going to be dictated to in terms of who they can have as members or leaders. That's one of the more common uh, controversies there. So let's say you have a Christian, I remember one case mm-hmm. um, at a uh, university in North Carolina, I think it was the University of North Carolina, as a matter of fact, where there was a, a Christian fraternity on campus um, whose whose mission was to basically be missionaries to to carry the gospel to uh, other members of the fraternity community. So it was a fraternity, and their idea was to you know talk about. Christ to um, you know other fraternity members in other fraternities. Yeah, and UNC. Um, Attempted at one point to tell them that well you have to let in you know every you know you have to let in people who, even who aren't Christian and and don't believe um, you know in those specific beliefs and their response back uh, was that well we can't really communicate our beliefs um, effectively if some of them our members don't even believe it um, and that's a case that that's the case that fire took on and and ultimately we got UNC to agree with us and they were able to continue. Uh, doing their work, but um, that isn't all, unfortunately that isn't always the case. Uh, there's a, a 2012 case called uh, Christian Legal Society versus Martinez uh, that we think went the wrong way in the Supreme Court. It was a 5-4 decision uh, where um, they determined in kind of a limited way that a university um, could have an all-comers policy for groups. So um, they said that a university could say, "Hey, every single group has to let every single person who wants to join." Uh, join now. That's um, that's kind of a limited one because almost no university has that. For instance, in most hmm. places, you can have fraternities and sororities. Uh, the, you can have single sex acapella groups. You can have single sex, you know, club sports teams, etc. Um, the the school in this case was a standalone law school that didn't have any of those things out in California. Um, but that that's really, um, unfortunately, I think a real imposition on the ability of groups, and not just religious groups, by the way, but political groups, LGBT groups, et cetera, um, telling them that, you know, if you've got these members who are, you know, really in there just to cause a problem, there's nothing you can do about it. Uh, they don't even agree with the group. Um, I, I think that's a real mistake, and I think at some point that's going to manifest itself. Yeah, I just came up with a new doctrine of enforced association, and so that you you can use this if you want. I just made it up, but there should be a law against enforced association. So you shouldn't have to be forced to include someone in a group that does not uh, participate in the group by by membership, by qualification, by belief, by anything else like that. Uh, is there anything like that in law? Well, the First Amendment is actually uh, serves as that law um, okay. when it comes to not. Uh, being on college campuses. The reason that a, uh, college campuses were allowed to uh, have this sort of limited thing is that they, um, they have the, the power of recognition over groups. So, for instance, let's say you have an outside group mm-hmm. that has nothing to do 
with can, you don't you don't use you don't have a mailbox, you don't have an office, you don't rent rooms or anything. The, a public campus can't do anything about that. They they have no influence over those uh, those sorts of rules. Um, a private campus can because they can monitor uh, you know more um, thoroughly what each individual and does. Okay. Um, but yeah, I mean, generally, they're, you know, enforced association, it, it, you know, the way you're putting it um, is something that the government can't do when it's, a, when it's a private club of some kind. Yeah, it makes sense. We're going to have to take a little break and then we'll be back. I want to talk about Berkeley and anything, any free speech cases that, uh, that, are, that you're working on right now. And we'll get into the details of all that stuff. So my guest is Robert Shibley from the Foundation for Individual Rights and in Education. It's 820 in the morning, Action Radio Hour, 1330 WEBY, and I'll be right back. in the morning. My special guest, Robert Shibley of the Foundation for Individual Rights in Education. Let's take on the big one, Berkeley. What's, uh, what's going on out there with free speech or lack thereof? Well, I think at Berkeley, um, what we're really seeing is the, the fruits of a, a campus culture that, uh, you know, particularly ironically and unfortunately at, the, at what everybody knows is the birthplace of the free speech movement, um, you know, among students back in, in the 1960s, um, this this uh, this culture among students, and I, I don't think it's a majority of students. Um, in fact, I'm certain it's not. But uh, you know, among certain folks, and they are they are um, you know people who are very vocal that say that certain kinds of speech can't be tolerated, and in fact um, are a form of violence. And I think they go further, and and you know, as we saw um, in the in the riots uh, on February 1st, and then you know these these sort of following up sort of fights over what's going to happen in some you know actual physical fights. Um, when uh, controversial speakers like Ann Coulter are scheduled to come, and of course she was unable to, we're seeing this idea that uh, the words that people say are actually equivalent to violence, and therefore it's okay to respond uh, to that with violence, that it's justifiable. And I, I think that's a very dangerous uh, precedent that they are setting at Berkeley. Yeah, Wellesley College came out with a whole speech like that, they had an article, and they basically said the same thing. If, if we think that your speech is hate speech and therefore violence, then it's not really counted as speech. So our speech counts, your speech doesn't count, because we decide what is free speech. And I find it ironic that uh, here we are coming up to Memorial Day, honoring you know fallen soldiers who fought for our freedoms, one of the most important of which is free speech, and and these folks are trashing that right, you know, thinking that they have a monopoly on virtue. And it, it, further irony goes that the people who probably did participate in the free speech movement in the 60s are now the ones who are limiting free speech now. And it's like, well, we fought for free speech, and now we're going to keep our speech. Like, their speech is the only one that counts. How did this all, how did we get from free speech to our speech? Well, you know, I think it's, a it's sort of a natural um, progression. I mean, free speech. You got to think historically speaking, the idea of, of liberty generally and free speech, um, you know, particularly is is an aberration. It's not the normal uh, side of things. People really have to sort of believe in it and have a have and discipline themselves um, to say, you know, what I'm upset by what this person is saying, but I'm not going to punch them. I'm not going to you know, take physical action. I'm going to respond with arguments of my own, and I'm going to try to win the argument. Um, and when you don't have people who um, you know, share that, and when you're not making any kind of effort, um, as, as, as I think they unfortunately you know, aren't in, in K-12 through in many cases, um, and you know, also on many college campuses, to tell people, hey, you know what, 
this is, you know, not speech and, you know, physical violence are not equivalent. Um, you know, that's a that's a recipe for this kind of disaster. And we saw it at Berkeley, obviously, most, uh, you know, most obviously, but also we saw it at Middlebury with uh, Charles Murray being sort of uh, actually literally run out of town mm-hmm. um, after after being told that the, the demonstrators were coming for him and, and his uh, his debate partner uh, sent to the hospital. And then um, at Claremont College, out in, also, also out in the L.A. area, where thankfully there wasn't violence, but they did uh, block Heather McDonald from speaking, physically block her yeah. uh, from speaking. And so, you know, we're seeing a lot of, of this, you know, idea that we're justified in doing anything to keep these people from getting their message across. And, I mean, the fact is, if everybody takes that stand, that's a recipe for, you know, riots and, and civil disobedience, and, or excuse me, not civil disobedience, but the civil war, frankly, yeah. uh, where people are out, you know, beating each other in the street because instead of, you know, talking things through and having an election to decide, you know, which policy is going to uh, prevail, we're just going to beat on each other until, uh, you know, one of us wins. And I, I think that's not what we want. And I, I um, you know, at least that's certainly not what fire wants and not what I want. Um, but I, I think there's a real serious lack of self-awareness uh, among a lot of the folks who are, are saying that free speech is bad and that it's, it's justifiable to re- react to it in violence because that absolutely, I mean, the other side is going to pick up on that. Yeah. Um, you know, th- there's no way they won't. And we're starting to see, I think, the fruits of that, particularly in Berkeley. Well, I mean, it's a, there's a whole leftist ideology uh, that says that diversity means different skin colors, but all thinking the same. You know, and it means that, uh, uh, you know, fascism is what we say it is. And if we act like the fascists in the 30s, you know, as I, I had an article, you know, from brown shirts to, to black hoods, you know, it's, it's not that much different. Uh, they're, they're fighting against, they're becoming what they're supposedly fighting against, and they can't see the irony of, of what they've become. And so this whole thing going on right now, uh, I got a couple of questions. I want to get to the, the, um, the camp, comprehensive campus free speech bill that was in Tennessee, which mm-hmm. is the total opposite of what's happening now. But I want to kind of finish up. Do you have any free speech cases you're defending, or do students come to you or organizations come to you to, to aid uh, on free speech issues on campus? Anything going on? Oh, sure. Well, this is a, a particularly sort of ironic one in some ways. Um, at Lawrence University up in Wisconsin, uh, a student group there called Students for Free Thought, um, or at least they, they would like to be a student group. They've actually been denied uh, recognition as a student group, and it, it seems pretty transparently because of their viewpoint. In fact, the, the real flashpoint of it was mm-hmm. they showed a documentary about free speech and comedy that, you know, full disclosure, Fire was, a, you know, a co-producer on. Oh, there so you go. Helped produce yeah. this film. It was called Can We Take a Joke, Where Outrage and Comedy Collide is the, is the tagline. Yep. And, um, you know, this, this movie's been showed. It, it was bought by a, a sort of a mainstream distributor. You can get it on Netflix and Amazon and that sort of thing. They tried to show it at Lawrence University, and apparently it caused such a ruckus they had to stop it temporarily halfway through and, and throw somebody out because of the big argument that started in the, you know, in the audience. Um, and then it was seized upon by both the student government. It, you know, they, did, they did finish the movie, but then the student government and then the, the university president, which I think is really shameful, sort of seized on that. And he actually emailed the entire campus community and said, you know, it's been really painful, you know, since this happened. And, you know, I want to assure you uh, this group is uh, not recognized. The right. student government, you know, I really thank them for their careful analysis in, in not recognizing them. So it's, it's really quite shameful. And given that the, the movie was about um, how this outrage culture makes it impossible for people to speak, I think it's, you know, in some ways particularly uh, – 
you know, maybe maybe ironic isn't the word, but appropriate almost that it was a group called Students for Free Thought uh, that were told they couldn't exist because they wanted to show this, or because they did show this movie. So oh, yeah. I mean, that, that shows you the culture that, that we're dealing with here. Which proves a couple of things. One, they can't take a joke. Yeah. <laughs> And the other thing is, I mean, the university professor might have said, you know, I'm sorry we were exposed to free speech. It won't happen again, which is basically what he's saying. You know, yeah, so this, I mean, you know, it, it, they, and this is, it, and to be clear, it's the president. I mean, this is this is the guy for him to come out and you know, effectively apologize, you know, for it happening and, and 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 make that, you know, basically send the message to students that free speech is dangerous and sort of like like a like a piece of uranium or something you know yeah. and that you know well maybe maybe it's got some use but we have to be really really careful in how we handle it and and look you know these people are you know they're not worthy uh to organize and do that i i think is really you know, a shame obviously but i i think it's also really reflective of um you know how people are just not willing to tolerate hearing other people's viewpoints on campus and they're being told that that's the right way to be um, and it's not. <laughs> well, here's something funny. You're going to get kicked out of this. Uh, I, I looked at the trailer uh, for this movie, and it looks hysterical, so I definitely want to see if I can get a hold of it. But uh, in the, the, the Lawrence University community, the vice president for diversity and inclusion, okay, <laughs> which, which is funny in itself. Anyway, Kimberly Barrett says that we received several bias incident reports, including some related to an interaction between two students, which resulted in one student being asked to leave the event by a member of the sponsoring group. Each of these reports will be reviewed and acted upon, and they go on and on and on. You know, but first of all, this is like official policy. We, you know, we're going to have diversity and inclusion, except for things that don't really you know, come into our diversity and inclusion thing. Is there a lawsuit regarding this? Are you guys taking action, or, or what specifically is FIRE doing? Well, we're still looking into the, the details, and Lawrence University is a private university and is therefore not bound uh, by the First Amendment. However, okay. they do promise free speech to their students, and FIRE does our best to, to hold universities uh, to those promises. Sometimes that can be done uh, through contract law, sort of depending on the state. Um, you know, most of the time, though, um, we you know use what I guess what you'd call moral suasion. We we tell people what's going on, and we we put pressure on universities from mm-hmm. their alumni who are almost never. Uh, you know, okay with this sort of thing, and then from other folks <laughs> yeah. uh, in their local community and state, and then from their students as well to say, you know, this is not how you are supposed to be running a university. How are we supposed to be taken seriously, um, you know, as a place where you can freely learn if, I mean, in this case, you're yeah. frankly just saying you can't really learn here. Yeah. So you're not, you're not lawyers that actually take on cases and litigate on behalf of people. We do sometimes. Oh, you do sometimes. Um, okay. But, you know, we're not at that point in this case yet and, okay. and aren't, aren't prepared to, you know, say whether we will or not. Keep me posted when you have a great case because I'll have you on again. We have to take another break. Uh, and then I want to come back and talk about a couple things. One, why the ACLU isn't all over this as well. And I want to get into this Tennessee bill because I think it's quite fascinating. And it's also interesting that the South is where a lot of these things are happening. Tennessee, North Carolina, they've got the, your green light report. We're going to get into all that kind of stuff here uh, with uh, Robert Shibley. It's 834 in the morning, and we'll be right back here at 1330 WEBY. So back to Robert. So, so uh, Robert, where's the ACLU? How come they aren't uh, partnering with you and, and joining you in all this free speech stuff? Well, actually, you know, fireworks with a lot of different uh, state chapters, and, and, and sometimes there's more than one chapter in the state of the ACLU on, on various issues. So the ACLU is, is sort of, uh, you know, obviously they're much larger than fire, and, you know, they, they obviously have a much bigger portfolio. Um, so, you know, they, they, it depends on, you know, where you are. Um, some of the chapters are, you know, very happy to work with fire, and, okay. uh, you know, we're happy to have them um, on the cases when, uh, when they're interested. 
Yeah, I'm always curious whenever you have uh, more conservative organizations, you know, pairing with more liberal organizations on things that we both agree on. And free speech, it should be an issue we agree on, but not necessarily. You find a lot of, a lot of quote, tolerance for intolerance. Uh, I find it in various groups that otherwise do so. It's like the ACLU is terrible on the Second Amendment. Um, but we'll talk about that another time. That's a different issue. But anyway, oh, do you deal with um, students for concealed carry at all? Have you folks worked together? We have in a couple cases. Um, we've okay. had um, several cases, in fact. Um, weirdly enough, in Texas, uh, there's been a lot of hostility, which is not necessarily what you'd expect, yeah. uh, stereotypically from Texas, although I, I shouldn't talk in stereotypes like that, but um, ah, from, no, from students who want to uh, protest for the right to uh, carry concealed on campus and are mm-hmm. being told that they can't even uh, demonstrate for that right. Um, for a while, they were having and may still be having uh, these empty holster protests where uh, they would wear a a gun holster, but that didn't have a gun in it. It was visible, and the right. idea was to protest the, the their inability uh, to have those guns uh, with them. And they were told by the several uh, colleges in Texas um, that they weren't even allowed to do that. Uh, one of them, they actually said, "Well, you can't have holsters." So they said, "Okay, we'll just uh, draw a holster on a piece of paper." And put that there, and they said, "Well, you can't do that either." <laughs> so, well, just make this up as they go along, or what? Well, I mean, yeah, in, in many cases they are, and, and again, I mean, that's because um, when you have these rules, as, as many universities do, you know, fire rates the the speech codes of over 450 of the biggest and most prestigious schools in the country, yeah. and um, when we started, 79% of them had red light speech codes. That's the worst, you know, laughably unconstitutional speech code. That's down to 40% now, but most of the rest are green light schools in the entire country. Okay. Um, that don't have any policies. And so when you have these policies that you can use to, to basically punish anything you like, uh, it really is you know, up to the administrators what they want to do. And in these cases, you know, obviously guns on campus are controversial. You know, they're either opposed to it or just don't like to have controversy on campus, and so that's what they do. Interesting. Uh, just in case you want to get in the conversation here, which I hope people do, 623-1330 is the number, area code 850-623-1330. Let's talk a little bit about these ratings here, because you had another article on the University of North Carolina, which you gave a green light uh, rating to. And I'm wondering, I'm thinking to myself, the South being a very independent part of the country, uh, it seems to me that there are more green lights, I'm thinking, would be in the South. Is, is that true? And, and where do you find the, the green light campuses and what makes them a green light campus? I think there's been, I think, more progress on getting toward green lights in the South, although it's certainly not uh, confined to there. Um, but, uh, like, for instance, I think that the two top uh, states right now for proportion of green light schools are Pennsylvania um, and North Carolina. Now, <laughs> admittedly, Pennsylvania is fire's home state, so they may, that may have something to do with it as well. We're based in Philadelphia. Yeah. Um, but, um, I, you know, it really just has to do with, um, you know, uh, in, in some cases, like in Tennessee, for instance, what you were mentioning, in mm-hmm. North Carolina, where you know laws are under consideration, or in, in the case of Tennessee, is in passed, you might have legislators that are that are more interested in pursuing that, um, and you might have people who are more open um, to uh, the diverse viewpoints, um, you know, simply because they live in communities that uh, you know tend to be uh, places that are. You know, not not necessarily aligned with sort of the mainstream of university culture, but you're you're still there, and so um, it, it's more obvious um, that you know not everybody agrees with you. And I think that, I think groupthink is a big part of the problem on college campuses. That so many campuses, um, you know, it really is considered sort of gauche or you know tacky um, to have a, have a belief or to express a belief at least that that's outside of the the normal mainstream. Which you know, right now, and it's, this is this has not always been true yeah. uh, historically, but right now it's. It's a, it's a fairly left-wing 
Uh, barely? Barely uh, <laughs> left wing? Uh, oh, you're too kind. Mainstream on campus, and so, you know, it, it's sort of easy to go along to get along. Um, you know, I, I think, you know, in parts of the country that are, you know, a, a little more lean towards uh, the right, uh, there's a, a bit more appreciation that, you know, not everybody we get here is going to agree with this. And I, I think yeah. it's important, you know, for everybody. I mean, even if you are, you know, at a university that really doesn't have that, you know, situation at all, let's say you're, you know, a university in, in New York City or Boston or something, um, you know, I, I believe, in fact, uh, the president of Harvard just yesterday in her commencement speech was talking about how, uh, you know, it, and I'm, I'm paraphrasing a little bit here, but yeah, everybody at Har- you know, it seemed like everybody at Harvard was, you know, shocked by President Trump's victory. Um, and that sort of reminded them, you know, how they, they need to remember that there are other viewpoints out there. Um, <laughs> and I think that's true everywhere, that, that people need to make an effort to, to seek out smart people yeah. with whom they disagree and not just take the, the cheap shortcut of saying that the other side is evil or dumb, um, which, is, which is always tempting. Well, Bernie Sanders said that, too. He says, you know, debate, yeah. debate the conservatives. You know, That's don't, right. don't shut them out of your campuses. And I admire Bernie Sanders. He's the only person I, I admire who I completely disagree with. And so, but that's okay, because I can respect what he says without respecting, you know, his ideas. I don't think they have, you know, merit. I think the socialist isn't going to work, right? But, yeah, uh, Bernie Sanders, Barack Obama said the same thing. I mean, re- repeatedly he said it. Uh, Mike Pence just recently said something like that at Notre Dame as well. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it, it is a bipartisan um, thing or, or nonpartisan thing. I mean, FIRE is a nonpartisan organization. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it, it's unfortunate that, you know, for, for political reasons, some people think it's convenient to, to use free speech as a scapegoat because it isn't. I mean, free speech has always been, you know, the friend of the oppressed. The majority doesn't need free speech. Right. Uh, the majority is the majority. They're, they're going to, you know, if, if you are actually the people with the power, you're not having a problem. Well, it's always been about respecting the rights of the minority, and that's the difference between a democracy and a republic. And, and people forget that. They keep bantering around this word democracy, and we're not. We are a republic with, with you know, some defined rights and others reserved to, uh, to the states and to the people, you know, not, uh, you know, not in, in the federal government. So even if rights aren't specifically enumerated in the Bill of Rights, doesn't mean we don't have them. And so all these things, you know, are going on. And so we, we define rights. We have, you know, rules of due process. We do all these things to, uh, to separate us from the democracies where one over half can change the law tomorrow in a completely strange situation. Um, I want to go over a couple of different things here. We've, we've got a little bit of time left. This case in, in um, Tennessee, this law, one of, a couple of the provisions are, one, they, uh, they require institutions to adopt policies consistent with the University of Chicago free speech policy statement. Are you familiar with that? Oh, sure. What's that? Uh, the University of Chicago statement is a... Um, there's actually more than one, believe it or not, uh, okay. but this is the more recent one that is um, a – the University of Chicago asked um, Jeff Stone, who's a famous professor of constitutional law there, uh, to put together a committee to you know, sort of examine the commitments to free speech that Chicago should have. And Chicago is a little bit of an unusual case in that uh, they're a private university that has um, always had this, this sort of different strain – um, in them, particularly when it comes to to free speech, and so they, um, you know, they the the committee worked on that, and a, a couple years ago they came out with a a statement that's I think very strong, um, and that Fire has been encouraging schools um, to adopt that basically says you know we need you know all viewpoints need to be aired here, okay. um, and we need to you know be careful to make sure that we are not 
uh, enforcing some kind of orthodoxy on folks. I'm 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 horribly paraphrasing from it, but um, you're, you know a lot of different folks, um, a lot of different universities have started to adopt that, um, either faculty bodies or the universities themselves. Um, and so now the uh, Tennessee legislature has said, you know what, we expect our universities to have policies that are consistent with this commitment to free expression and academic freedom. Is this the same University of Chicago that does the, the style reporter journalistic standards thing? Uh, oh, yeah, they are. They're, that okay. is the University of Chicago. Yeah, they, uh, the, they have their own style. That's right. Okay, interesting. And then they also talk about prohibits the use uh, of misleadingly labeled free speech zones. Let's talk about those. Yeah, I mean, this is something that we see. I think it's down to about um, one in six or one in seven universities um, that we survey have these areas they call free speech zones. They're usually called free speech zones. Sometimes okay. they're called something else. But mm-hmm. uh, it's this idea that, okay, in this particular part of campus, um, you are free to protest, free to speak, free to hand out literature and that sort of thing. Um, and the rest of campus, there's a whole bunch of rules and hoops you have to jump through. <laughs> and is yeah, that unconstitutional instance, just to have a, have a zone? Well, uh, yeah, exactly. Well, it, I mean, the fact is the free speech zone is supposed – the university campus is supposed to be a free speech zone. We thought. Uh, you know, that's why we have them, and that's, that's why we're paying for them, you know, on these on – these, and these are public campuses, by the way. Yeah. Um, you know, we have a suit right now going on against Pierce College out in Los Angeles uh, where their free speech zone – I think it was the size of a couple of parking spaces. It's actually <laughs> like a – it's actually a line that's on the ground. Uh-huh. Um, they've sort of outlined it in brick. Um, and that's where your free speech line. <laughs> yeah, there's an actual line. Okay. And even for that, I believe you have to, to to run through some hoops. And we have a a student there who, who was trying to pass out Spanish language constitutions, and he and he wasn't in the free speech zone, and, and got in trouble for that. So we're currently uh, litigating that out in in Los Angeles. Okay. How do folks get in touch with you if they want some help uh, with their their free speech on campus, or just more information? Yeah, head to our website at thefire.org, thefire.org, and if you want to submit a case, there's a big button, or you can go to thefire.org slash submit, I think. Okay. Um, but, you know, our, our website is, is very big and comprehensive and has we, – we have these free speech guides, or excuse me, I should say guides to um, student rights on campus. There's five of them, actually, free speech, due process, religious liberty, uh, thought reform, and student fees and funding. Um, and so students can read about it there, but we also have a whole, we have a blog, we have a whole ton of information on this. You can submit your case or question. Uh, you can look up your school, uh, obviously, to see how you're doing, whether it's, you know, cases for each school or whether it's, you know, what's your school's speech code. Um, and you can join our FIRE Student Network if you're a student um, and uh, engage in some activities along those lines. Okay. We keep mentioning the word FIRE. I want to remind uh uh, everyone, that, that stands for Foundation for Individual Rights in Education. So FIRE, that's where that comes from. It's 8.50. We have to take our last break, and then we have a caller for you. And I want to squeak in your book, Twisting Title IX, as sort of like our last topic. So right. we'll be right back with Robert Shipley, 8.50 in the morning. Let's do it. The music is cooked up for us now. 7.52 in the morning, I got my special guest, Robert Shibley from uh, FIRE, which is the, uh, the Foundation for Individual Rights in Education. I'm going to bring on Pete. And Pete, we really need to go right to your question this morning. Sound good? Hey, real real quick. Yeah, I appreciate it, Mr. Rob, showing up. Just remember the word FIRE, the largest forest fire. Uh, millions and millions of acres could be started by one little spark. 
So you're doing good. You're doing good. When do you think this politically correctness kicked in? I, when I was in college back in the 60s and 70s, we could discuss the craziest things over a pint of Guinness, but we never fought. We never burned anything down. We never beat anybody up. We never killed anybody. When did it get crazy where we need free speech zones and snowflakes and mayors of cities saying to people that need room to d- destroy, to destroy, and breaking into CVSs and stealing lower tabs and cases of whiskey and stuff because you don't like what's going on? When did this really start like the frog and boiling water type deal. <laughs> okay, Pete. Thanks very much. Great question. Well, most people think, and I, I think this is probably about right, that uh, it, it kicked off um, this this latest wave of this that kicked off really in, in 1991 or 1992 um, in, in the rise of political correctness. I mean, that was, um, you know, that was a word that hadn't really been um, you know, bandied about before that time. And, uh, you know, at that time there was, there was already sort of an immediate backlash. Obviously, Bill Maher's old show was called Politically Incorrect. There was a movie called PCU uh, that was making uh, fun of this stuff. Um, and yes, there, was, there was a lot of, of talk about, um, you know, how we are going to, you know, now start – actually, political correctness was considered to be good then. Like that was – you would say, hey, I'm politically correct at first. <laughs> that, was, that was something people would, you know, sort of boast about and talk Not about, anymore. hey, that's good. Yeah. Um, that quickly stopped, but I think what, that quickly sort of faded off, or it seemed to fade off. But what I think what was really happening was that that belief was really being institutionalized. It was being sort of built into the university system. And so uh, we've seen it really – I, I, th- I think the rise of, of social media um, and the, the rise of you know what I you know think that there there is a, there is really something to the sort of overprotective parenting. Um, you know I know I'm certainly as a parent far more protective of my kids than my parents were, and, and somehow I managed to make it. Uh, you know I, I think all of that has sort of come together as a perfect storm to sort of revive it and, and make it worse than ever in some ways. And so you know I, I think the origins though of this are, are probably from the early 1990s. Yeah, I think of this as conditioning. Uh, I was writing a, a little Facebook piece last night as to why people object to Trump so much, because they've been conditioned to liberals in office for so long, and I include the Bushes in that, uh, that all of a sudden you have someone like uh, Trump comes along, and the closest you know, in anybody's recent memory would be Ronald Reagan, uh, and probably you know, Coolidge before that, as someone that is, is like a revolutionary person you know, trying to do a lot of you know, good conservative things. And if you haven't seen it, if you haven't been exposed to it, then you're conditioned to think that this is the aberration. Same thing in school. If you're you're raised in a liberal school and you go to a liberal high school and a liberal university, that's your normal. And so to have, you know, opposing points of view must be incredibly threatening to people. What do you think? Well, it is. I mean, it, it's obviously tough to hear people who really vehemently disagree with you. I mean, it, living in a liberal democracy is hard. Um, you know, I, I mean, supposed to be. Sort of famously, uh, you know, they asked Ben Franklin as he was getting out of the Constitutional Convention um, in Philadelphia, which is actually only steps from where Fire's headquarters is, which is cool. What and, a coincidence. Uh, I like that. Yeah. <laughs> and, they, and they asked him, you know, what, what, what do we got here? And he said, a republic, if you can keep it. Yeah. And, you know, this is part of the keeping it, this respect for this tolerance, frankly, for, for opposing views and, and different religions and, and really these sort of fundamental differences is what makes us able to have – a country this big that's still one country and you know constantly trying to attack that um you know that ability to tolerate each other yeah. um is is causing real problems and we're and we're really seeing those now yeah we got about two minutes left uh, and then we have to break for news so tell me about your book twisting title nine i give the last two minutes to you 
Oh, sure. Well, Twisting Title IX is a, is a short, uh, I promise it's short, it's only about 50 pages uh, oh, okay. and cheap uh, book. You can get it on Amazon, and it's um, it's basically my attempt to explain to folks, because a lot of folks are um, concerned about um, what Title IX has, has become, um, which is sort of this all-encompassing um, uh, imperative to universities and, and even to um, to K through 12 schools uh, to seem to turn everything, um, you know, all of their efforts towards fighting quote unquote harassment, um, and that's involved. Obviously, harassment, you know, needs to be fought, but um, this this idea that you know almost anything you disagree with, again, I mean, is is some form of harassment if it makes you uncomfortable um, and has anything to do in the case of Title IX with sex, gender. Um, you know, sexual orientation, gender identity, all of that. And you know, we've gotten to the point it. where you're treating any disagreement as um, some form of discrimination. Action Radio. Dangerously cool. And that was how it was uh, way back when. Um, okay. <laughs> messages here and things going back and forth. Uh, that's it for me for this week. Uh, I'm beat. I just, you know, I'm kind of a wreck today. So uh, I, was, <laughs> I was expecting a couple of uh, guests and we had uh, one cancel a little bit ago and one uh, this morning. So it's uh, a couple of hours all of a sudden it's like, oh, well, that's a surprise. Anyway, next week we have a lot of stuff we got to. Let me just check my, uh, uh, my schedule here real quickly. I know I got Christina Bob, uh, President Trump's advisor uh, and lawyer on Tuesday. We've got... Uh, uh, we've also got, oops, let me turn the page here. We've got Jessica Rivera, a uh, new reporter. Um, she's, you know, regular journalist. She's not, she's new, not new to reporting. She's new to action radio. She's only been on once before. She'll be on seven o'clock central time. Um, we've got, I think that's it. That's uh, looks pretty normal the rest of the week. So the so Monday and Tuesday are going to be jammed and who knows? Cause things develop pretty fast around here. So it's been fun. It's been a great time. Um, Greg Penglis for action radio. And uh, you've got our contact. I think I'll do the contact uh, one more time and then play our, our classic uh, you know, piece for the week, the 18th of Overture, and then we'll be done. And so we'll see you all again, uh, as usual, Monday morning, uh, 7 a.m. Central Time, when we do it all again. Here is your Action Radio contact and website information. The call in line is 215 383 3832. Our show site is com slash citizen action. Same link, live and a podcast. Please share all our shows. We have live chat at the bottom of the broadcast page available worldwide. Sign in to your free account and type away. We have an internet Skype line where you can call the show worldwide also. Please see the broadcast page for our Skype name. Call in during the show to get approved. Our bill writing site is writeyourlaws.com. W-R-I-T-E-Y-O-U-R-L-A-W-S. Writeyourlaws.com. This is where anyone can write a bill and start the process of it becoming law. My paid and free subscription column is at gregpenglis.substack.com. Please consider a paid subscription of $5 per month or greater. For contributions to Action Radio, please go to givesendgo.com slash actionradio. We have over 20 Action Radio Facebook groups. Use the Facebook search window by putting in Action Radio to find our groups. 
My public email is greg at writeyourlaws.com. Please contact me about advertising on Action Radio and helping our mission of freedom. Thank you for listening. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Tax day is coming. Oh, no. But if you sign up for Robinhood Gold's IRA with a 3% match, you can get up to $195 for the 2023 tax year. Oh, yeah. Sign up at Robinhood.com slash boost by tax day to get the biggest contribution match on the market. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC.